This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Welcome to Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast which focuses on playing Warhammer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I'm your host, Petey Pob, and with me I have Mr. Val Heffelfinger. How you doing? And Jeff in Control Robinson. Yo, yo. So, they're my co-hosts today because this is going to be the special Las Vegas Open episode. Uh, you guys were asking for Las Vegas Open meta-analysis, pairings results, etc., etc., so everything you need to know about the Las Vegas Open meta, what you guys expect to see on the Twitch stream, or if you're going to the Las Vegas Open, I highly recommend you listen to this episode. If you have buddies going to the Las Vegas Open, pass this along to them. Not only will we have this meta analysis, but we'll also have a PSA from the head judges at the LVO at the end of the episode. Uh, they've got some just general stuff, general things that you need to know. So just listen to this episode, if that alone, if you go to the LVO. And we'll do that. We're also going to talk about some tournament results that happened this past week. The Golden Sprue Cup, the Rattler Cup, and the Game Empire Pasadena LVO Primer. And Jeff actually attended the Rattler Cup. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Alright, first tournament up for analysis is the Rattler Cup GT. Um, this was an event in Phoenix, Arizona. It typically has a lot of high-level play, and this this year's event was no exception. Jeff in Control Robinson did attend, and we'll let you know how we did in a second. There was also some really good Chaos players there, and just in general, the meta there is, is really interesting and really strong. There's a, a lot of different unique lists that people who maybe will make the LVO top tables on day two will be using, um, so I think it's definitely worth talking about it. So, the first place list at the Rattler Cup GT is... Um, some some guy who's running Tyranids. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Jeff, Jeff, I don't know. I mean, Kintarl. He, he posted his list on a notepad picture of a screen mm -hmm. on a computer. Um, and then I see some files in the background, and it makes no sense at all. Yeah. So yeah. I do things. <laughs> so unfortunately, uh, I I spotted that too, and I was very disappointed that there was nothing disappointing back there jeff like an easter egg would have been great for some of your fans following along on bcp right like, i'm chris i'm just crystal clean man squeaky clean this one like starcraft three folder i don't know anything anything interesting uh but all all kidding aside jeff and control robinson did end up going five and zero at the event uh he was the top player though although another player did go undefeated and i'm very disappointed that jeff and this player didn't end up playing because i think that matchup would have been very interesting but Jeff, do you want to go over your list real quick for everyone? 
Sure. Um, and just a shout out to Don Houston, who you're referencing, who actually put on the tournament and is a very competitive player himself and kind of is the mother hen of the Arizona scene. So it, there's going to be more GTs and RTTs going on over there. And I definitely recommend people check them out if you're in the Vegas, California, Texas or Arizona area. Really good terrain, very good practice for LVO and a very strong uh, cadre of players, actually. I, I Well, very strong, perhaps a bit uh, ambitious, but <laughs> a, a good scene. They're good players. Um, so for me, my list, and this is the list I will be taking LVO unless something weird happens between now and then, is a brigade, a Kronos brigade. And a lot of people always ask me about that. I think if you have Terranids for 8th edition and you want to do it perfectly, you don't do a single uh, high fleet. But I have this gigantic, massive collection that was beautifully painted by Frontline Gaming, and I am not going to repaint them. I'm not going to mark the bases. I'm not going to do any of that. So I am a competitive player, but I'm also someone who's, uh, I like to think, fairly sane. <laughs> so I'm not that crazy. But my list is uh, Brigade, Kronos, Warlord is, well, I'll, that can change, I guess. It's two Neurothropes, one Turvagon, and Swarmlord for the HQs. The troop choices are four by three Rippers, just bare bones. Two units of 30 Termagons, bare bones. Um, a unit of four Venomthropes, bare bones. A... Fast attack of three mucloids, which is the cheapest you can do. And then heavy support is three units of three biovores, elites, other than the Venomthropes, are a unit of six hive guard and a unit of three hive guard. And I believe that's the whole list. That is that is it. It's a it's a very it's a very shooty list, Tyranid list. It's a weird looking list. I think a lot of people look yeah. at it on paper and, and nobody so far when they see my list has been like, wow, that's an incredible list. And it really takes playing against it to kind of experience what it does. And I'm going to take a page out of Sean Naden's book and not talk too much about exactly what it does. But um, I do want to say the idea behind it is it's very hard to score ITC points. Um, there's less points in Gangbusters, Big Game Hunter, uh King Slayer only gets you three points. There is no Titan Slayer. Recon's tough because the footprint's so gigantic. Warlord's tough because it's a little Neurothrope with five wounds and a three plus plus. That's usually hiding behind a wall of spores and termagants. Um, and then even Reaper, which is kind of the one that leaps out at you, you have to kill two regenerating units of 30 termagants to get four points. That's like the only one that I, I have available to my opponents. So it's tough in that regard. And then it has a gigantic footprint. Um, and it's, it's, the idea behind the list is sustained damage throughout the game. So a lot of lists are like, I'm in your face, I'm blowing shit up and I'm charging you turn one. And that's a very good and viable strategy, but I find that that has, has a lot of variance. Say you hit a screen or your dice go cold on the alpha strike and then you kind of lose. With my list, I'm supposed to be fairly durable with the minus one and the screens, um, and, you know, lots of bodies with multi wounds. And then I'm supposed to be able to do damage to you throughout the entire game is, is the idea. Never never one wad of giant damage, but just sustained damage throughout the whole game. When I first saw your list, all I could think was, where the hell am I going to move if I ever face this thing? It's yeah. just the board control of it looked insane to me. And I agree, man. Like This is this is a great list for anyone. I guess you have a bit more trouble doing this at tournaments, but anyone who doesn't know what they're looking at might think this is a pushover type of list. It's a, it's a cool design. Yeah, it's, it's fun. One of the first things I hear from most of my opponents is they're like, okay, what does this do? Because I haven't played against Terranids, which is still funny because, you know, <laughs> I've been playing Terranids my whole Warhammer life and I've heard that every single time, which I don't, I'm not like lamenting or blaming people, but Terranids in That's the competitive tournament scene, 
yeah, it should over time, you would think. I think especially after the LVO, I was already looking at who has submitted lists. And you know what? Shout out to the other Terran players, because the people that submitted lists post for Terran players, motherfucker. <laughs> and because uh, they're either too dumb or they're not afraid. I don't know what it is. Mind. but Yeah, or we're all thinking the same thing. Exactly. But um, they, uh, they're they just good. They're good in all phases of the game, which is what you want in 8th edition. You want volume of dice and you want um, to have a presence in each stage of the game. And Terranids, Terranids can have lists that are skewed in one way or the other, obviously minus shooting, although the Swarm Lord does not get enough respect. That guy's a one-man melee machine. Um, but then a lot of other lists, and most of the other ones, are, you know, delivery uh, of wads of gene stealers or a two-time shooting devil gun force and stuff like that. I think you'll see a lot of, because of the tools that you mentioned that are available and, and you know, just the different high fleets, the stratagems, and the variety of units, like, I think you'll see some creative lists out there, too. I don't think it'll all just be the the gene stealer rush and, and all the, the, the early takes yeah. and the spamming. So that's been actually a really fun and, and just a huge shout out to games workshop. Cause you can tell a good codex when you see something like this, but yeah. almost no two Terranid lists are the same. It used to be, you could, you could, you could close your eyes and imagine a Terran list. Just when you heard that you were facing a Terran, it was like five flyers and four Molochs and you know, whatever. And then Sean Naden, of course, rewrote, reinvented the wheel basically with lictor shame a couple years ago at LVO. And that was really cool. But for the most part, Terrans only had a few things that were viable. In 8th edition, it's a lot of stuff, man. In, in the uh, the final game of that Rattler Cup tournament, I faced another Terran player. Um, and he, too, and I'm not saying this to... I say this because I respect James so much. He also beat James, which is incredible, because James Carmona is a very, very strong, tough competitor. But this guy's unassuming Terran list was able to beat him as well. And it was like... Eight melee Carnifexes, old one eye, a deep striking um, behemoth flyrant, and then a trigon and a, you know thirty uh, termagons shooting twice with, with devil gaunts rather, and uh, that you was know, like his One of the things I, I I have to admit, kind of missing from seventh edition, is being able to walk up to a table and be like, oh yeah, I got this, or I'm probably gonna lose in some <laughs> ways because. You know, like, you know, a, a year ago, you walk up to the table, you see that list, and it's just like it's an auto win. And now you don't know how to deal with it, and you can lose. It's mm -hmm. uh, it's fun. And Agreed. I'm, I'm glad you guys brought up the idea of lists changing in 8th edition, because with the ITC Champions missions especially, I see a lot of lists with a, a lot of variety. Um, Yeah, you're still going to get your five, your four Fire Raptors lists and your, your Double Bomb Chaos yeah. lists. But in general, if you look at those top table, those top lists, Jeff's list, Sean Naden's list, Brandon Grant's list, Matt Root's lists, they're all varied and balanced mm -hmm. within the ITC Champions missions to avoid giving your opponent points. So that, that being said, I think we've got a really interesting spam list on deck that I'm personally terrified of and I think is still pretty legit. Maybe you guys can can uh can set me straight that on that but that's don's list uh yeah oh yeah from, from the rattler cup like i've heard i've heard people in you know my various chats and stuff who you know list crafting and talking tech and i've i've heard people pitch this idea and i was like nah you'll never see that and now we're seeing it so you guys want to go into it <laughs> yeah so... well let me give one final note on the tournament i do want to say because this is interesting um i actually went second in every single game and not by my choice <laughs> oh yeah I got seized one game, and then my opponents won the roll-off in the other four games, and they all chose to go first. Um, and in all five of the games, to varying degrees, I was like 
a little bit concerned because because it still is savage. Uh, they had great terrain and I but taking damage, losing like a unit of hive guard, that kind of thing is rough. But going into the LVO to segue into that real quick before going to your point, um, I think one of the like pillars of what makes a good list uh, to list a few, it's things like you need to have mobility to go out and grab objectives. You need to have um, the ability to to take damage, but then you also have to have the ability to deliver it. Um, and and my my list was able to for me, really give me confidence on the ability to take damage. And what a difference train makes, by the way, too, because only a weekend before that, I went to a tournament that, for whatever reason, they got it in their mind that bottom floors were not blocking terrain, and this was an yeah. LVO practice tournament. And my list, if, if you can see my stuff and shoot it first turn, eh, not so good. So <laughs> Going well. going uh, going second by accident uh, five times in a row and winning all five games, does that change your opinion about whether or not you'd want to go first or second now? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I don't know, because the carrot of going first is still so strong, because a lot of people um, in 8th edition in particular are, are deploying very aggressively, because I think the belief, the overwhelming belief is that going first is significantly stronger, whereas in 7th, it became pretty clear that going second was like ideal, uh, just with the mission style and how defensive most armies were. But in eighth right now, I think if you grabbed 10 random people at the LVO and asked them if they want to go first or second, just in any game at all, nine would tell you they want to go first, right? Yeah. Um, so for me, it's it's like a, a learning thing that's still happening, and it's and I'm kind of witnessing and experiencing that, especially if you're on a good table, which at the LVO you absolutely will be, consider going second. There's uh, It just plays extremely powerfully to the mission. And not only that, but, but ITC Champions missions are designed to give the player go second an advantage. Uh, it's yeah. not a clear advantage, but it's an advantage, and I think that's part... Uh, did you guys play the ITC Champions missions, Jeff? Oh, yeah. It was LVO practice. So so, so I think I think that also has part to do with why Jeff did so well. Jeff's list is very reactive. It can be very reactive, uh, um, as opposed to being proactive and just alphaing, like like uh, what you mentioned before. Um, yeah. So in, if, you're, if your list is designed to be reactive and conservative and take a punch... I think going second is the preferred choice for you. And as we saw in our FLG League and other tournaments, people who go second generally do win more with ITC Champions missions. So yep. I think we can definitely get, you know, when we start talking LVO meta a little bit later, we can definitely get into this because I think uh, there's a lot it's there. shaped large. Yeah, there's a lot there, and it's shaped a lot by just how much has been released really since the last significant tournament. Yes, right on. absolutely agreed. All right. Let's so, get to that spam list because it's super Val, interesting, and it's yeah. going to be at LVO, by the way. It's already listed. Absolutely. At least one of them. All right. So th this list is Don Hewson's list. He has two Demon Prince of Nurgles and two Spearhead Death Guard detachments. And then he has ten Plague Burst Crawlers with the Plague Burst Mortar, Heavy Sluggers, and two Plague Spitters, along with Epidemius and some Poxbringers, just just to have some HQ choices. Um, I think those actually buff them up, which I think why he has them. But th that's it. That's the list. It's ten Plague Burst <laughs> Crawlers and five HQ choices. Well, specifically kitted out with the flamers, by the way. So yeah, there's, yeah. there are options on the plague crawlers, but he has all of them with the flamer weapon. Yes. And the the battle cannon, indirect fire. Um, it's now I didn't I've never actually seen this list in action. Don explains it to me on the regular. Um, I know 140 points for a plague burst crawler is good because of because of how durable they are. They're they're very budget durable tanks. Um, so he's not giving he's not doesn't lose a lot of them. Um, uh, but Jeff. Did you get to see this list in action? Yes. Um, so for people that don't know, Plague Crawlers, and Don talked a lot about this actually on the competitive Facebook um, page and is very willing to talk about it because 
uh, by his own account, this list is supposed to draw attention to how imbalanced the Plague Crawler is. He wants Games Workshop to nerf them. I don't know. Don Don's a interesting cat. Uh, but Plague Crawlers are roughly 140 points. They have a battle cannon that shoots indirectly, albeit inaccurately. It, the, if it moves, it's supposed to go five, so not super great there. But at toughness eight, 12 wounds with a five up invul and five up feel no pain. Um, and I believe psych- his list has access to the ability to regenerate wounds as well. Um, it's, it's incredible. And their footprint's large. It's 10 of them. Um, they don't mind being charged because they can go up to strength eight and have two flamer weapons. So good luck getting through that charge. But if you do, yeah, you tie one up. But then he has two princes acting as kind of linebackers so they can smite you off of a tank or they can just jump in there and claw your face off as well. Um, and it's not like the tanks hit hard in close combat, but like I said, with all those flame weapons, sure, you tie up one or two of them, they back up, and then the others destroy whatever it is that tied them up. Um, so that is the list. It's it's just a, like 14 or 15 bodies, but 10 of those are tanks that most lists have a tough time killing one or two of with their entire army. A turn. And they're uh, they're demon engines, yeah? I don't know. I think so. I think I, I think so. they count as I think they count as demons for uh, now. Yeah, we'll I'll, I'll be very curious to see where where that where that FAQ lands too. If it's just uh, if it's specific to the keywords, or if it's uh, like uh, or if it's just if you have the faction keyword, you're good to go. Yeah. Um, because that makes a big difference. That opens up a lot of things that then combo up with with the demons codex, and this may be one of them, which would be nasty with like uh, uh, the the tally guy, for example. Anyway. Yeah. So um, third so, place. Yeah, and then the durability of this list is insane as well. Oh yeah. Uh, so third place we had another chaos list. We this is a little more interesting than the generic chaos list you'll see. Uh, it was three obliterators, three units of obliterators, lots of poxwalkers, uh, a little baby chaos cult, chaos cultist bomb, um, and then just a bunch of HQ choices, nerglings, um, your basic stuff. So this is Aurelio Correa, um, and he he runs lists like this very similarly all the time. He's traditionally a guard player. Um, but this is just a lot of bodies backed by solid shooting and character support. Yeah, this is this is the endless uh, Poxwalker list as yeah. well, or at least yeah. he has the ability to do it. Um, nasty, nasty thing. Again, just something that's going to take up half the board, not going to let you move around, and he'll be able to drop those obliterators to take anything powerful or strong that you have off the table. And he'll also be at the LVO, but this is also um, just a kind of list that you can... You, you basically, when you list right... You need to be able to take on something like this, and it, and this is why Chaos, Space Marines, and Death Guard, and all that is kind of close to the top of the meta, is it provides, again, uh, all the pillars that you need. So the zombies regenerate. He has all the characters that are just about that, making them tough five, strength five, and then re- regenerating them off of your infantry, uh, or even his own. Um, and then the nine obliterators, the three units of three, I they, they just, you know... Obliterators are a little bit RNG. They're not super super consistent, but their their baseline is pretty damn good. They're mm-hmm. that, that 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 alpha strike from those three guys that those nine guys, excuse me, is pretty damn strong. And why the reason people are going to obliterators is because you can deep strike them in, so you don't have to worry about being alpha struck. You get to pick where you're shooting, and the range is decent enough. Uh, and I don't know if he runs them as Nurgle or not, but with the new Demon Codex Nurgle as well, if you, if you want to start going down that path. Mark of Slanesh. Like, yeah, okay, so yeah, the typical Mark of Slanesh. I think that's something that'll change, I, I think. Um, I think you're right. I don't know necessarily his list specifically. I'm just saying I think you're going to see more variety in your obliterators because you can make them super defensible with Nurgle, 
Uh, or you can make them plus one to wound with it's Zinch, right? With the flickering flame, flickering fire, I believe. Like with their shooting attacks, yeah, and that and that actually makes them very very powerful. Even even with the RNG involved, even if they're just strength, oh yeah, low strength, low damage, still makes them very good. Well, um, base strength seven is going to wound most things on a two. Yes. Right? If you if you get flickering fire off. Aurelia Crea, good job to you. Of course, Don and Jeff, congratulations. You guys all did very well. Um, let's move on to the Golden Sprue Cup. Um, I just want to preface this with uh, there was a controversy at the Golden Sprue Cup, and if you are a TO or if you are someone who has converted models, um, I would just communicate one way or the other. If you're TO, communicate to your players, hey. Uh, show me pictures of your converted models. If you're a person with converted models, message your TO. Ask them if they're okay. I don't care what they look like. If they're, if they're gorgeous, beautiful, spent $10,000 to convert up something, always ask your TO. Um, I, f- I feel like that should be pretty common sense, but um, consistently we do see people who just forget, and that's okay, but I think you guys should always you know, message your TO about stuff like that. Moving on to Jared Friedman, who had uh, kind of an interesting chaos list. It, it's definitely very powerful and a little cookie cutter, um, but it's not the typical chaos list I think you will see. But um, he had two chaos fire raptors, a unit of ten obliterators, a hellforge scorpius, which is just the scorpius whirlwind, uh, three units of chaos cultists, a demon prince, bunch of prin- a bunch of brimstone horrors, a unit of seven corn berserkers, Aramon, <clears throat> and and a renegade commander. Um, and the renegade commander I imagine is just a cheap HQ choice, so you can fill out that battalion. Um, so. He basically brought two Chaos Fire Raptors, um, which are all the rage right now. Fire Raptors are probably going to be the most common Forge World unit now that the Malefic Lord has died. Uh, sad, <laughs> sad, not even a sad, a, a deserving death. So you're going to see a lot of Fire Raptors, and I think you're going to see more Imperium Fire Raptors than, than Chaos Fire Raptors, uh, which is why seeing a person do really well with two Chaos Fire Raptors is kind of surprising, because I think there are better Chaos lists and there are better Chaos units then the Chaos Fire Raptors, um, but what do you guys think? Go ahead, Val. I'm 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 out of my depth. I'll uh, I'll definitely <laughs> defer to the crowd. So, so... Uh, I I faced a list that had I mean so there's it almost goes without saying, but I guess it, it's worth establishing right now. Like there is a Fire Raptor, and then there's a Fire Raptor we're willing to hit and sometimes to wound with the Imperium. Yeah. Um, and that's two very separate things. So Fire Raptor in, a, in, a, in its own right is good for its points. It's got a lot of DACA, obviously. Um, some of it's range 36, I believe, and that, that's decent for a flyer. It's fairly defensible. But when you pair that up with something like a Lieutenant, a Chapter Master, if you're Imperium, or even Gilliman, now you're starting to talk about something that is reliably nuking down um, a unit. But where that liability comes in and where I think the balance starts to be had is if you're playing on an appropriately terrained and blocked out table, most often those fire raptors shouldn't see very much. They should not see. I mean, you know, if they go first, maybe they do see your gigantic knight, of course, but a knight could probably be okay ish. Uh, Not ideal, obviously, but still it could be okay. But if it can see the whole table, like some of these tables we were seeing um, at that East Coast tournament where the four fire raptors almost won except for Sean Naden was a fucking hero, <laughs> uh, then then that list becomes really stupid. And it, it goes first a lot of the times, and it just nukes you off the table. And, and that's not fun. But at the LVO, do I expect four, two or four Fire Raptors to do extremely well? I think they'll do okay, because I think especially at lower mid-tables, people just don't know how to handle them. But as you get more f- deeper into the tournament and you're facing a lot of these guys that brought Imperium soup, chaos soup, and, and, and you know, Eldar lists, and some of these top stuff. I think you're going to see those lists fall off, in my opinion. 
Yeah. Wouldn't you also like, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but wouldn't you also have like some pretty nasty stratagems you can deploy with those guys with chaos, like veterans of the long war to get you plus one to wound. I think that's um, you're infantry. still going to be able to get reroll hits. Is it infantry only? I think th- well, yeah. veteran veterans of the long war, I I think is is, in, I don't I don't know I don't play chaos space marine, so I'm sure there's some people who are already rolling their eyes, but um yelling at us. I, I think I'm I'm like I'm pretty sure that most of their good stratagems are limited to infantry only. Um, and I'm not sure about veterans of long war on fire raptors. I guess I guess what I was gonna get to is that although um, and I think this happens in 40k a lot. Although the Imperium fire raptor might be a menace to society, that doesn't mean that this thing isn't insanely it's powerful. Really you yes. know, like uh, even even with basic rerolls, it would be in you know a very tough thing for you know any horde army to look at across the table, like right. myself. <laughs> so I'm not sneering at chaos fire raptors any any time. And actually, I have a little, I have a, a way to beat Fire Raptors later on in the show. We'll talk about it when we talk about the LVO meta. Um, there is a way to beat them, even if you don't have a way to hurt them. Um, it's just, it's a very specific strategy. It's not very fun. And then I'll talk about it later. But for those of you who are worried about Fire Raptors, I'm sure there's a ton of people who, who probably don't know what they're going to do against four Fire Raptors. Um, there are ways to beat them without actually interacting with them. Um, but we'll get to that later. So... Going on to Matt Kaiser with uh, Sisters of Battle List. May, or my, I'm sorry, Mike Kaiser with a Sisters of Battle List. Mike, you're the man. Uh, I love it when Sisters players do well. I love it when obscure faction players do really well. Um, yeah, and... but hold off on, on that. <laughs> I mean, Sisters are really damn good. They're, They're not what, good. what they used to be. It's just people don't have... Like, it's a funny mix because I think a lot of competitive people don't have Sisters armies, so the players that have the skill to take a list and, and and really show it off don't typically have sisters models but especially when that codex comes out you're going to see more of it because if it remains anything like it is in the index it's actually one of the strongest index armies there are like yeah. they don't have a codex and they can actually compete with codex armies in my opinion they're amazing you're right Absolutely. so hold so hold on so because jeff this isn't your ever average run-of-the-mill 10 repressor sisters list uh, he does have repressors uh he has seraphim inferno pistol seraphim uh, with Celestine, of course, the usual suspects. However, he's got two units of retributors with heavy bolters, a space marine detachment with a devastator squad with two last cannons, a missile launcher, and a heavy bolter, and three auto cannon, two last cannon predators. So it, cool. it's, it's more of a weird mech list. And actually, I talked to someone who who was also a sisters player who got to talk to Mike afterwards. She wanted to kind of become a better player in general, and Mike was saying that basically. Uh, the Predators combined with the Sisters, Predators open things up, um, and then he's got Sisters, the Battle Sister squads in the back to kind of cover his backfield. He creates a really interesting mech gun line um, with Sisters, and then Celestine kind of flies around and does her thing. And he also has an Inquisitor, or I guess an Imperium detachment with a Primaris Psyker, an Inquisitor, Arcoflagellants, and a Magifier, and a Ministorum Priest. And Arcoflagellants and the Ministorum Priest are already a great little mini combo. That'll just shred mm-hmm. any any unit pretty much going into your backfield if if you deploy them correctly. And the Inquisitor buffs all of the leaderships of the sisters in your battle in your backfield. Um, so you've got buffed leadership battle sisters in your backfield covering you, and then you have the predators kind of just zooming around, getting into firing lanes, kill shotting things that they need to, and then of course sisters and and you know everything sisters bring to the table. So Very it's, cool. it's interesting. It's I think this is one of those unique lists that that I think the ITC champions missions promote. Agreed. <clears throat> All right. David Koska with guard 
and uh, he's got a cool guard. I don't, I don't know. I don't. Yeah, he's got a pretty cool guard list. He's got scions. It's, it's, it's not the normal guard list that you'll see. It's, it's guard and admech. He's got uh, scions, uh, meltagun scions, uh, com- plasma gun command squads. He's got one of each assassin in an Imperium detachment with Inquisitor Greyfax, which I think is hilarious. Uh, hmm. And then he has a Stygis Admech list with three Dune Crawlers, Dragoons, Rangers, uh, Tech Priest, and one unit of ten Fulgrite Priests and one unit of ten Core Puscari, the, the Jazz Hands Priests, the mm-hmm. shooty ones. Um, so, so this is a, a really, really interesting list. Um, with the exception of the Scions and the Dune Crawlers, I think he's, he, he's basically, this is a Highlander list. Um, I, I don't know what to make of it. I don't, I don't know how he did so well. Um, David is a, is a regular, I guess, actually even up here in Toronto. I think he's out of Buffalo. Uh, and, uh, believe it or not, he's been running a list almost exactly like this since about seventh edition. Uh, (laughs) so these, he's got, this army's absolutely drop dead gorgeous. Um, and he, uh, he's always played, uh, very off beat lists and he does very well with them. So it's, I think something that like, um, what Jeff was just referring to, not everyone necessarily who has the skill has the models. And this might just be a, a combination of both. He's been dedicated to these sort of factions for a while and, uh, he can just make it work. Yeah, no, I, I see the components of this list. And I think one of the, the gems and what's so fun about eighth edition is it's not so much as just like plug and play like this unit's good, this unit's good, this unit's good. So that equals good list. That was more so true closer to the index release, but the further away we get from that, there needs to be a lot more synergy. There has to be some command point semblance there going on. And, um, it's really fun at, on the list writing element. And this list screams at me of, of someone that does, uh, like Val was saying, kind of think deeper. And it's cool that he was already running this kind of stuff. And it just shows that eighth is like elevated to a point where he can now execute because it's got the mobility. It's got the durability. The Saiji's is allows you to infiltrate a couple of those units. Maybe it's the priest, probably is the priest, but it could be the dragoons as well if he wants to. Um, and then they're fairly defensible at just a native minus one to hit them as well. Uh, and then Dragoons are just tough anyways. And he's got, like, dropping anti-armor and stuff like that, so it's really cool. Um, I don't like this list and think, like, he's reinvented the wheel and it's it's the second coming of Warhammer Christ or something like that, but it's but it is a, it's just fun seeing a guy that, that has his factions able to field stuff, find some synergy with it, and win. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it, I love lists like this. All right, fifth place, Eric Scrivens, or Scrivens, I'm not trying to pronounce your last name, uh, has a yeah. Space Marine battalion with... Uh, Fire Raptor, um, I believe it's two Fire Raptors in here. Yeah, there mm-hmm. it is. It's got two Fire Raptors, Scouts, Captain, Lieutenant. Uh, the Captain has a jump pack, and the Lieutenant has a jump pack. The Elysian Battalion with a bunch of Elysian drop troops, um, a Primary Psyker, four Plasma Gun squads, and an Astropath, and then a Guard list with a lot of Mortar teams, and one single Manticore battery. Um, so th- this is actually a low model count army. Um, even though he's got two guard detachments. And it, it's essentially just kind of like an air cav list. Like, if you can imagine a yeah. traditional traditional air cav, military air cavalry list. It's got the mortars, the, the troopers dropping down, et cetera, et cetera. Um, well, Eric's a great guy. He's he a great actually, guy. He was here in California for a little while. Um, he's going to be going off to Africa to give some of his time to the less fortunate and work there because he's such an awesome guy. Um, but I actually was able to play against him and beat him when Admech first came out for my, my tournament win in that RTT. And I was really impressed because his list used to be Salamanders, Devastators, uh, basically alongside everything you just listed except for minus the 
kind of a lesion portion of his guard list. And that was cool, but I think as we're seeing as the addition moves on, more and more people are getting away from the Salamander or um, Ultramarine gun line because it's really great if it gets to shoot you, but if anybody gets to shoot that, even with your stupid fancy little banner, you Space Marine <laughs> players, um, you're often seeing very expensive models get one or two volleys off of shooting and then die, which in this edition just doesn't, you know, that's not going to do much. Um, so now he's moved on to what I think Guard offers really tremendously, which is indirect fire and mobility, right? Those command squads dropping down or uh, scions and all that kind of stuff. And then that paired with a couple of fire raptors blowing your face off. It's a tough list, and he's a good player. Yeah. Yeah, and it's – I don't know about the uh, the low model count too. I mean he's got a lot of units uh, here that he can move around, take up space. Like those motor, mortar teams and the Manticore battery are, are going to – are going to be able to hold a big chunk of the backfield. Oh yeah. You know, the, he's going to, he's going to be able to have a very good presence on the board with, with, with these units. All of these lists are really fascinating to me because they, you know, they don't necessarily focus on one selection or even a, a couple gems, especially the last two. Um, there's a really cool assortment of units here. And yep. uh, I don't know that, that speaks really well for, for where the game is at. Yeah, I agree. A single um, Reese tear falls from his cheek <laughs> as we get away from um, Death Star Warhammer, which is what he hated in 7th edition. <laughs> we get more into the like eclectic, synergistic units helping each other phases of the game type of Warhammer. But where would, I feel like we're missing something without Reese railing against Death Stars. You know, like I was raised on that. You know. Oh I, no, Val, I, he's, I grew he's bitched up enough to, to supply us for like 25 years. So I mean, if you. <laughs> We're good to go. The salt there is incredible. Morton, this is almost out of business. Speaking of Reese, if you if you do want to run a Space Marine Devastator Squad gunline with the banner, uh, the way he runs it with Raven Guard, I think is the and only Isodon. way. And Isodon is the only way you can run that list. Yeah. At all. I was just I was just laughing at one of the first eight that battle reports I saw where you uh, used your Vendicare to kill his uh, his big mech. With your Devastator, I remember he called he, he called your Devastator Gilliman list uh, kind of weird, like sort of an unusual list, <laughs> and then you proceeded to make him upset. Yeah, that was that was fun. Um, he still ribs me about that orc, even though I I he you could clearly see it. But anyways, moving on. Um, finally to the Game Empire Pasadena LVO Primer Tournament. Um, there are two people who went undefeated in this. Uh, Mr. J Jones with L Dari. And Mr. Brandon Grant of Relentless D. So uh, we'll talk about Jay Junes' list real quick. Got it right here. It it's not it, it's interesting in the sense that it's di- it's Dire Avenger spam. So because he has uh, six what? units of huh? You got to work on your wording. You're like uh, it's interesting in that it is. Yeah, you're right. Uh, you're right. It's it's uh, I'm I'm simultaneously pulling up the list on my phone. And to Jay Jones, it, it, in this guy's defense, he has and, and the guy in third have a podcast dedicated to talking about themselves screwing up in tournaments. So <laughs> nice. I think this is a beautiful thing to see these guys podium, and I just like to to shout out those dudes because I listen to them uh, all the time. So this is just an amazing moment in 40k history, frankly. Jay, there you go. good job, buddy. But anyways, he has six units of Dire Avengers. Four wave, three wave serpents, some warlocks, Azerman, of course, to make those dire adventures better, a warlock conclave, one unit of dark reapers, because Eldar. How big? It's nine nine man unit. Plus Exarch. Plus Exarch. Trash. <laughs> and then no, one, I'm just kidding. One one unit of nine fire dragons, and I imagine two of those guys going wave serpents, 
along with maybe a unit of Dire Avengers. I don't know. Uh, and then he's got three units of Rangers. And that's pretty much the list. Uh, so Psychic Support, Dire Avengers, or sorry, D- Dire Avengers, Dark Reapers, Fire Dragons, Azerman. It's, it's a, a list Reese would be proud of. No. Oh, yeah, he loves Dire Avengers. What are you talking about? You'd be he, proud of that part. <laughs> no, it's a very good list. Joking it, aside, it the Wave Serpents are incredibly mobile for what they allow people to do. Like, obviously, some people misplayed it where they were disembarking from the Wave Serpent shooting and then uh, getting back onto it. You cannot do that. Anyone listening to this, do not do that. Um, no stratagem allows you to do it. You just can't do it. But it allows we're, you to be pretty safe. What? I'm just, I'm just curious. I've read that very closely, being paranoid about it. Where, where is that? A, is that an FAQ? No, it's just in the book. It's just for. <sighs> yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a circular argument then. Yeah, I, I feel, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like I'm, I'm with Val here because I, I was under the impression that you could do that. Um, and Reese and Frankie are, are being very cryptic on that matter. Um, so someone took a picture about? of it, posted it on the Facebook competitive page. It's just straight out of the book. It says. Units cannot embark and disembark on a transport in the same turn. Oh, well, then never mind. Oh, it's – okay, so it's the disembark. But you could, for example, webway portal in and then run into a wave into it. Uh, Listen, you guys want to get weird about your rules and stuff. <laughs> That's fine. I'm just talking about the fact All that right. you can't step out of it and then use you strategy to in. get back into it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You, yeah. Okay. Fair, fair enough. Either way, um, being able to shoot and then embark onto a wave serpent – is really powerful. Um, obviously, being able to disembark and then reembark is is illegal, and there's a reason for that. But um, in general, I think wave serpents are really good. They they give Aldar a lot of mobility. I think they are the probably the more powerful version of the Dark Reaper list that you'll see. You you'll see two versions. You'll see a ter- uh, big fortification and Pearl Bastion with Dark Reapers in it, and you'll also see wave serpents with Dark Reapers, where the Dark Reapers kind of just hang around with the wave serpents and then get out when they need to and shoot and then get in with that stratagem. That I, I like Wave Serpents, Dire Avengers. It's, it looks like a good list. Good job, Jay. Very, very, I also very want to say, like, uh, with Wave Serpents, too, like, once they're uh, emptied out, they're super annoying. So, like, they can... I think people who play aggressively with Wave Serpents have a lot lot to uh, lot to do. Like, they can get up there, lock up other tanks. Uh, they can go charge and tie up units. Um, they've got their serpent shield they can fire off. They're putting out some some uh, some damage and shooting. The being aggressive with them once they've done their sort of delivery job uh, is is uh, a really really important tool for them to use. Because a lot of times Eldar don't have a lot of other units on the ground, and so getting extra value out of those wave serpents is is kind of essential for them. And just speaking from experience, they're so tough. Um, I, I find a rhino hard to kill for whatever reasons. It's protected by the universe, <laughs> but the wave serpent is also protected by really good rules, so they're just such a great uh, low-key unit that can go out and win games uh, after it's done what it's already supposed to have done. Absolutely, they are. and you don't want to shoot at them either. But that's, anyways, dark uh, Bl- dark angels and blood angels is what Brandon Grant was running. He was running a uh, Talon Master and Samael on Sableclaw. Uh, so two two land speeder characters, two units of scouts with no heavy bolter, and then one unit of scouts with a heavy bolter. A unit of Plasma, Exterminator, and Scepter squads, the Primaris, Chief Librarian, Mephiston, and the Blood Angels Detachment with Lamardes, three more units of scouts, two units of Death Company with 12 models, and then a Plasma Obliterator fortification. And that's it. Hmm. Um, so we we actually, on the Relentless D 
uh, page, which which is my 40k team. We we actually talked about this list a lot. Um, and the more Brandon Grant explains how this lists work, uh, the more I really start to like it. Uh, so you have the six units of scouts, and they they push out and give you space to move your land speeders around and move your death company around in, and then essentially you create kind of kind of like a mini Death Star type deal with the with Samael and the land speeder shooting stuff. They can also charge stuff. They're really good in close combat. And then you have the Mephiston, Lamardes, and the Death Company running around near them and then reaching out and killing things when you need them to. Um, so it's a it's a very interesting list. It's very, very low model count. I guess very very uh, low unit count. I, I, it's not a low model count army, but it's just, it's not, it's not typically what he run, ran 8th edition before, which was guard conscripts with artillery mm. and primary psychers and torox front. Is, is this his list, do you think, or did he just take this to that term with the experiment? No, no, he, he's experiments. He'll, so Brandon Grant's in a weird spot right now where he'll, he'll come up with this really interesting Brandon Grant list, and we're like, whoa, that's cool, and he'll do really well with it at an RTT or, or in practice, and then he'll be like, no, that's crap. Scrap that. Right? And then he'll go on to this next really interesting list, you know, and then he'll play it, and then show us it, and then he'll just scrap it. Um, so so I, I think I think this is going to be his list, um, but he could change it, and I wouldn't be surprised if he changed it and still made the top eight. Um, he's a, so he's a phenomenal it... player. As a fan of uh, the fortification secret sauce, uh, I'm just curious. Do you have any insight on what he's using that for specifically in his list? The plasma obliterator. I, I think he just uses it to to hurt things and to basically add more damage because he found himself lacking in the lethality department. So he brought the plasma obliterator as a really tough, consistent shooting unit. It just shoots things and and hurts them and helps pop rhinos, helps bring Primarchs down to their second tier. Just It just does work in, in that regard, right? So I think, I, if if memory serves, I think it can hold 20. So he might be also using it to stat. You can usually only do one unit and then um, and then as many characters as you want up to the maximum. So you might be using it to stash Death Company and giving them that little jump two off of the edge because you get the disembark extra move. Yeah, uh, you do. he can. Um, I, he doesn't typically do that. But but it is an option for him. I think he primarily just uses it as a a small firebase. And then I know he's considering taking out the plasma scepters, though he doesn't have access to a lot of high damage, uh, you know, shots. Um, so that's why that's kind of a debate there. Should he take out the plasma scepters, which which do free up a lot of points, uh, but they are also pinpoint plasma and they put out a lot of plasma shots. So it's it's kind of it's an interesting list. Um. And I, I think he does really well with it. Well, and as we're going to find out in the next segment, he uh, knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to talk about the LVO meta in a second right after this commercial break. Do you believe the Emperor protects? Or do you believe a false god sits on the golden throne and death to the false emperor? Regardless of whether you're a loyalist or a traitor, Go to www.flyingmonkeycon.com. www.flyingmonkeycon.com is Kansas' biggest wargaming convention with Warhammer 40k, Warhammer Age of Sigma, Kings of War, 
X-Wing Horror narrative event. It promises to be an amazing event set on the river of Wichita, Kansas at the Drury Inn. Get your tickets soon, the weekend of June 22nd through 24th, right here in the air, capital of Kansas. See you there. And we are back. So, if you're attending the Las Vegas Open, or if you're just generally curious about the meta of a 500 plus for a 500 plus person 40k event, this is the space for you. We have pairings data, the top 20 ITC players, and we have three very bright, uh, two very bright individuals, and a guy who thinks he knows what he's talking about who started a podcast to talk. And about where's Rhino shirts? And where's Rhino shirts? And calls himself the Rhino. <laughs> but basically, there, there's a lot to digest in, in the LVO meta. And with Chapter Approved dropping, there, there's not a lot of tournaments to really study. So so I think a lot of this is going to be assuming and reaching in the dark and judging based off of what who our contacts are, who we're, talk to, who we're talking to, and kind of just like what makes the most sense. Like Fire Raptors going down in points. We're obviously going to see a lot of Fire Raptors. Etc. Etc. Um, so first things first, Val and Jeff, you guys are both attending the Las Vegas Open. What are you guys mm-hmm. in general preparing for? Go ahead, Val. Uh, well, I think um, we actually kind of got a good little peek at the way the game has changed. I kind of uh, referenced it earlier, where the LVO is kind of coming out at a time where five books essentially haven't had, you know, re- like there have been GTs, but no major um, big events uh, to really test them. So I, you could almost go as far back as Eldar, um, Tyranids certainly, definitely Dark Angels, Blood Angels, um, and and Demons are all books that wildly change what the options are available out there. And I think specifically the biggest thing, again, something we've touched on, uh, that those books do is allow you to play uh, with models off the table. They have a lot of uh, uh, ways of keeping... Uh, things off the table so that they can come on and you can have a very strong, you know, beta strike, whatever you want to call it. So the game has shifted, as promised uh, and prophesized by the frontline gaming crowd, uh, I think has shifted to a game that's much more interesting and cagey. And there will be that raw power. You will have the four fire raptors, but I kind of view it as those original eighth edition, you know, meta lists. They're going to be there in force, you know, the, the standard uh, gun lines and guard armies and flyer spam and all that. I see them more as your gatekeeper lists. You need to be able to beat those. And then after that, you know, my personal, uh, you know, bet would be, you know, probably Tyranids, Eldar, and, uh, you know, Chaos Space Marines or Chaos Soup of some kind being sort of those three big bad armies at the top of the heap. That's how I view things. Yeah, I would I would agree with a lot of that. I think um I think it's be really fun to see the super top tier players and what they bring because I think they kind of like we just broke down with the top list at these various different tournaments. I was really happy to have my opinion reinforced that it's very eclectic and different. And again, a tip of the hat to Sean Naden who a couple weekends ago won an extremely competitive tournament with a list that on paper I think a lot of people would certainly underestimate and probably deservedly so. Um, with that being said, for me. I agree with everything Val said in terms of the kind of typical ones. The only one I'd want a limelight is I think Eldar is going to do very well. I think Eldar are extremely underrated, um, kind of quietly so. Uh, people are very 
you know, very used to being like fucking Eldar. They're so powerful. Uh, but then in eighth edition, the Eldar players like rebel rouse when their codex came out. Like, this is what I can't just fucking. <laughs> and then and then as time kind of marched on, Silence. it became more of a like, well, it's pretty. I guess there's kind of a couple of pretty good things here. <laughs> they get even quieter and quieter and quieter. And then, you know, the very typical offenders like Dark Reefers are destroying people. And um, that's what people focus on. Um, but the Codex offers so much more than just Dark Reapers. They have some of the best stratagems, some of the absolute best powers. Psychopaths. And they have, yep. And they have the ability to be everywhere on the table. Uh, you can literally just pick up an Autark on the last turn and drop it in the backfield for like a two or four point swing. Like these are some of the more powerful things you can do in this game. And they have access to all of them again. Um, it's just not nearly as on the nose as it was in 7th edition, where a lot of the stuff they did was like, just, just like in your face powerful. You know, like a, a council just was indestructible, or five wave serpents just blew you off the table. Like, people did not like playing against that. But now when you see an Eldar list, I always have the like squinty eyed, where am I getting fuck looked on my face? Like, where oh, I yeah. look at the list and I'm like, all right, there's the Dark Reapers, but that's not it. And then I kind of look at the player and I'm like, what's unit of Guardians? I'm like, what are you doing? And they're like, all right, I just had the models. I'm like, shut up. Let me look at this again. <laughs> um, so Eldar is going to be a tough one. I think Guard was all, you know, the last LVO was all about Guard. Um, that was kind of at the the very, the, the, the death scream of 7th edition. And I think Guard will be strong here as well. But as these codexes are coming out, I think Guard is going to have, there's going to be more answers for what Guard did so well earlier on, mm-hmm. which was drop indirect fire on you, have some Scion units and, Elysian guys drop on stuff, but they their bodies die. Their conscripts aren't as strong as they used to be. Mortar teams aren't all the rage. They've, they're still fantastic for their cost, don't get me wrong, but kind of like Brimstones, they're very good at what they do, but they're not like overwhelmingly good. Um, I think there's, you're, there's, go ahead. there's also so much stuff now that can reach out and touch them really, really quickly. Like as a Tyranid player, I think, well, not your list necessarily, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's just stuff that can leap over their their screens and touch their tanks and, and really get in their business. Whereas maybe out of the gates, that wasn't as, as prevalent or easy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think for me, the big wild card as my final point is just um, I think if LVO was happening four months from now, it would be like a 50% dominant we're seeing it everywhere kind of thing. As it is right now, I don't know that it'll be that um, overt, but the Demon Codex is going to change things. You are going to have 30 blood letters at least jumping on your face in a lot of your games, and that's going to just be a component of an otherwise also deadly demon list. Um, and I think that drastically changes the meta. Everyone knows... Well, all you do is you just, you know, have a screen and you're fine, right? Not so much with demons because they have access to getting their invol to four plus. They have, you know, uh, just just so many bodies reliably hitting you. Yep, yeah. exactly. Rerolling sometimes too. So it's just going to change things. It takes an it takes an element of the game that we already knew you had to kind of protect about, but it make it jumps up to eleven and makes it very reliable. That's going to be different. Um, I hope it has an impact at the LVO. I suspect there'll be some really great demon lists, but I don't know if it's mega, mega top tier just yet. Yeah, so so let's talk Gatekeeper Army, guys. So uh, I think the Gatekeeper Armies are going to be guard players, leftover guard players who haven't realized that their codex has gotten worse, and they're going to still run the same stuff you saw six months ago out of guard. I think those, those are going to be relegated to Gatekeepers, maybe even low-tier Gatekeeper Armies. That You're going to see bad Chaos players. They're going to be the Gatekeepers. They're going to have the, the typical Chaos Bloodletter Bomb, Cultist Bomb, 
and other elements like you, you know maybe they maybe they wanted to bring fate weaver because they really like fate weaver uh or they have a beautiful Juan Diaz slanesh army or whatever that they'll have the typical chaos good stuff plus chaos personal stuff uh, i think they're going to be gatekeepers like seventh edition bad eldar players are going to be gatekeepers uh, and Dark Reaper spam Eldar players, I think, are also going to be gatekeepers. I don't believe in Dark Reaper spam being a 100% top-tier army. I, I believe it's, like, the quintessential gatekeeper list in that it's it's uh, an extreme example of shooting, and it can't do much else. Uh, I think What I love, what I absolutely love about Dark Reapers is that they are the big fish that eats a lot of things that... that you know, would otherwise really run roughshod on the meta. Like, so like, it's hard to bring big models now. So yes. you have to kind of go into that more MSU build. Um, you know, it's uh, flyers, like they hit on threes, <clears throat> you know? So like flyers are, are getting hit on threes and wounded on threes. So, you know, you face a, a Reaper spam list with your your four Storm Ravens or three Fire Raptors, and you might have two once once those guys come out of the web wire or out of their, their, their Wave Serpents. Yeah. So... Dark Reapers as gatekeepers, I think, is a wonderful development. I think it opens up a lot of space in the game. Yeah, and speaking of Fire Raptors, I think Fire Raptors are also going to be a gatekeeper army. I think Fire or just Raptors. Just flyerless in general. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like not everyone's no. not everyone's got Forge right. World on speed dial. That, that's, I think that's flyers true. shouldn't be. You shouldn't sleep on Storm Ravens. They're still good. I, I agree. I agree. At low model count flyer armies. Um, Fire Raptors being the primary suspects. I think there. I think that's going to be a big gatekeeper army. Uh, like Val said, Dark Reapers can take care of it. Uh, really, really high model count Chaos armies can take flyers really easily, especially like players like James l- love flyer lists when they can just cover the board and still hurt the Fire Raptors and or table them, you know, killing Gilliman and, you know, all the other 10 models they brought with them. Uh, so I think that's going to be a real big gatekeeper list. And then you'll, you'll see Space Marine players. So uh, Space Marine, Imperium slash Imperium players... I'm not sure if their Space Marine players are gatekeepers. I don't think they're quite that good. I think the faction in general has gotten a lot worse. Uh, but you're going to see a lot of Space Marine players who who bring the best they can. And I think those players, their numbers will be so high that they will become a gatekeeper by default. So you need to be able to beat Space Marines. Uh, Between and Mac. To just call back some, uh, some of the stuff we talked about before. I don't actually know if we did do this breakout, but... Um, essentially I looked at from Nova to, so, sorry, from, uh, from Nova to when I got all the tournament results, which would have been the first week of December versus, uh, launch to Nova. How did people start adjusting and, and moving towards armies and between Nova and, uh, and December. So that's like September to December, you know, half of the meta was chaos, space Marines, space Marines, Astro Militarum and chaos soup. And I don't necessarily think. Um, and the the ones that were changing in a big way fast there were, were Eldar. Remember back in seventh, Eldar were, you know, probably 15%, 16% of the meta that drops to like 6% of all armies when when eighth drops. So people have models, they like Eldar, they're out there. So you know, you probably though as a whole, if you're looking at like what lists am I definitely going to see? You know, you're going to see Imperium and you're going to see Chaos and you might see one or two Xenos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, and there's there's no reason for that to change across you know Nova to now, um, in general. So uh, those are the gatekeeper armies. I don't I don't think I can't think of anything else. Maybe Tyranids, but I I feel like the Tyranid players are all either going to be really good and make it to the top tables, or they're they're just not going to be really good. They're just gonna, you know, 
bottom tables. Have one, have a good time. One thing you could see too, I mean, just like with Eldar and the fact that uh, you know people have a lot of those models on the shelves, I think there's a lot of people like Jeff out there who have been sitting on this beautiful Tyranid army of their dreams that they've wanted to play but couldn't for a long time. So you might see a lot of people jumping out of you know the Imperial Chaos Soup to their favorite Xenos army now that they mm-hmm. can. Yeah. Um, like out of the gate, out of the gate, Tyranids immediately got much more popular, uh, and that sort of tapered off. But you know, most of these, da- most of this data is from before really the Tyranid Codex came out. Um, so I, I think just like Eldar got a lift when their book comes out, I think Tyranids get a lift, and they're all just going to be sort of taking little nibbles. Pardon the pardon the pun, I guess. Uh, from uh, from you know those those Chaos and Imperium, um, you know whether they're mixed faction or not. And variety is variety is going to be big at LVO too. Um, but in general, eighth edition variety has been kind of the big difference from seventh edition that I feel. And it's very very positive. Uh, so yeah, yeah, Val, you're right. Orc players, Tyranid players, Dark Eldar players, Necron players, maybe um, if they haven't bought new armies yet, Adamek players. They're all going to come out of the woodworks and you know be at the LVO, and you'll see a lot more of them. Um, yeah. I, don't... I think it's something you uh, you touched on actually in a previous episode, which is you may not see like um, you may not see a lot of different factions necessarily. Like we just said, half the meta is probably you know four or five factions, um, but you're going to see like what Jeff is talking about a lot of list diversity. So you 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 can see the factions played in tremendously different ways, whereas before you wouldn't see that. Yeah, it, so at the top tables. Uh, I, I strongly believe that the player makes the top table, um, not the list, but there is going to be a trend at top tables. And what what typical lists do you think people should look out for if they're gunning for the top table? So this is assuming they got past day one, three, and oh, they beat their typical gatekeeper army, you know, round four, uh, round five, round six. Now they have to play really good players with really interesting lists. Um, so in general, what do you think you're going to see at those top tables? I think Tyranids are probably, I think you'll see Tyranids and Orcs actually a lot uh, (laughs) around five. I I do. I honestly think, well, if we don't get three Orc players who are five and oh, going into round six, uh, I I will be extremely surprised. I'll be extremely sad. That (laughs) That you're surprised? I I will be surprised if we do not see three Orc players who have gone five and oh. Uh, Where does this come from? Orcs aren't even like what? What? Well, you know, what? you know, I I feel like orcs are um they they are obviously the best Xenos faction performing in eighth edition according to statistics. Statistics don't lie. Um, and I I just I I think orc players there's a lot of really good orc players going to the Las Vegas Open that I know, and I I don't think any of them are going to win the event. Um, though I do see them all finishing five and one, four and two. Um, so, so, so as as the resident orc player and Jeff, I can hear the incredulous tone in your voice. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> this is what I would say in defense of orcs and what I see is what is what I was talking about with the dark reapers. I think a lot of the stuff that eats orcs uh, is opened up. I think there's space for orcs to move, and they have they're a vanilla version of you know some like the Tyranids Codex. So they just they don't have the stratagem back up. They don't have a lot of the fancy tricks. But they've got good enough shooting, they've got fantastic close combat, they're very mobile, and there's a lot of models to deal with. So I think, you know, with a player who's dedicated to running them, not necessarily me, I'm dedicated but not necessarily good enough, uh, they could go far. Uh, amongst the Orc players, we figure, 
you know, the, who are sort of vying for the faction. I, I do think one loss is probably what you're going to need to win win best of faction for orcs. And what Pablo was talking about, Jeff, I don't know if you listened to one of the previous episodes, uh, but uh, we uh, we were talking about how in early eighth, anyway, up until December, orcs actually had um, the the most podium finishes of any of the non Imperium or Chaos factions. So that was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, so they I think they do have an ability because things are opened up to to uh, to win because I think a lot of the big fish that would eat them will be eaten. Yeah. Unless you meet one of those big fish in the first round. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's reconvene true. when no orc players make top twenty. Oh, top twenty deal. is uh, that's I, an orc player is going to make the top twenty, Jeff. But so Jeff, last year in seventh edition, there was mm-hmm. a there was a five and one orc player last year. That's you know true. what? Every day, seven. Someone <laughs> sees the Loch Ness monster. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> anyway, believe it. Oh, oh. <laughs> you, you know what? Oh. Jeff already sees being sees himself being outplayed by orc players as a Tyranid player, um, so I think he's starting to feel a little threatened. So let's talk about how well Tyranids are going to do. Um, that, that's only fair because I'm threatened by his list. <laughs> I don't think Tyranids are going to do very well either. You don't think Tyranids really? are going to do very well? Well, um, I know Jeff's not going to do really well. He'll he'll go four and two. Um, lose he'll lose to a really good player that he played prematurely, and then he'll lose to someone we've never heard of uh, round six. And that'll be that'll be that. So, for those listening, no, it's it's not Asperger's. What what do you call it, Pablo? What is it? Uh, I believe I believe it's just called being Pablo. There you go. Yeah. Uh, that's Pablo shit talking that was just happening there. But... Yeah, it was very lame. But anyways, uh... I mean, I'm just relieved Jeff's still on the line after that <laughs> torrent. That that like full assault on you. No, but Jeff, I, I actually that's actually my opinion. I, I don't I don't see orcs doing very well. I don't, it's not like I'm grinding an axe or I am shit talking anyone at all. I just I yeah, think index armies have a very tough time, and I think orcs still have a lot of their same problems. They can put a lot of bodies out there, and the train's going to help them, and that's going to be really cool. But I feel like they don't do any one of the phases super well, which is not necessarily the orc, the orc, uh, orc thing. Of course, like you said, they're mobile. They have decent shooting, decent close combat. Um, but I just think, I, I think, and I'm being real, I, I think index armies are at such a disadvantage to codex armies. And that's, I understand that why it had to happen that way. It'd be really ridiculous if they're like, here's eight and also 30 codexes. I think that'd be a terrible business model for them. Uh, great think- for the player, but terrible for the business. When you're when you're viewing things from the frame of reference of top eight, you know it would take a lot to get an orc player into the top eight. When you're viewing things from the frame of reference of going three and zero, losing, and then two and zero, I think that's totally a possible scenario. So there's ways there, there's ways to one loss that don't involve ever threatening the top top tables. Um, but yeah, I don't I, I think there's 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 players who can definitely outplay their index. And you know you were even mentioning. Uh, earlier, you know, Sisters of Battle. Um, I think they're the best you know. index, though. That's my sure. Opinion. Yeah, and I would say I'd, I'd say orcs are not scrubs from the index, but we'll see. We'll see. I yeah. could be very. I'd love to be wrong. But I'm more interested. Fifteen orcs I'm, I'm, in the top twenty. I'm way more. I wouldn't go there either. Uh, <laughs> I'm way more interested to hear what you think because I'm really hot on Tyranids. I think I'm looking yep. at Tyranids. I'm like, man, oh, baby, yeah, if only I had some of them tricks. You know, like what? What, is, what are your thoughts on Tyranids? Why do you think they don't have what it takes, and what do you think has what it takes? Oh no, they absolutely do. Um, and this is not gonna. This is. I'll be the bad guy of this podcast, maybe forever. That's totally fine. Uh, I've typically, seen pictures of you, Jeff. Uh, it's accurate. 
Okay. Uh, typically, Terran players are, are very much so not top-tier competitive players. They're just not. It's true. Um, and they've had worse codecs, obviously, so that could be like the first go-to that someone's going to say is evidence that I'm wrong or, or whatever. But I would just say, historically, since like the Leaf Blower Carnifex DACA build, um, it just has not attracted very competitive people that want to like go as far as they can with that codex. And you can only blame so much on the fact that the codexes have been the most powerful, um, in my opinion. Uh, even when we do have powerful codexes, you still don't see very, very strong players gravitating to them or traditional Terran players kind of emerging with them. And I, again, I don't really have an axe to grind here. I, I know I'm a Terran yeah. player, so the easy thing to say is like, well, you just think the world of yourself and don't like everybody else. Like, nah, not really. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be a lesser player than anybody else. I would freely admit it all the time. But in my experience, traveling tournaments, going around the country and playing for the years that I have, Terran players are typically not the best players. So at the LVO, where you are, and this is where it becomes interesting, uh, and this is where Val, I think, has an extremely strong point, and that is that with 500 fucking players, you're not playing against the absolute best players all the time, and maybe you have the luck of the draw, you have good tables, you have good things, your mm -hmm. list is good enough, you're a good enough general. I would happily be, like, the, the podcast after LVO, you guys were like, well... In the top 30, we had 15 Terranids and 15 Orcs, and Jeff, you went 0-6, so you want to talk now? I'd be like, sure, yeah, I mean, let's, let's talk about it. It's incredible. Yeah. I just don't think that's going to happen. I, that's my opinion. Right, and this is all speculation anyways, right? Mm -hmm. so, well, well it's educated guess, is what I that, that Educated guess is probably better. I, you, you know, Jeff, I, I often actually wonder about that, like what what it is that the best players gravitate to um, and and what drives that. And I wonder if over time we see, you know, some of these, you know, top players. Like, if we break out the top 20, uh, it's even more skewed towards, uh, you know, there's basically there's seven percent of the the top 20s games are with uh, Space Marines. It's really just Astromilitarum, Chaos Space Marines, and Chaos is like half of all the top 20s wins, right? Yeah. So like, they they go like, so the question is the chicken or the egg thing, right? Like, if Tyranids are the best book, will we see those guys play them, or are they? Or are they going to play things that they feel are, you know, the obvious power? Mm. Um, I find it, I, I find like you, you got a guy like um, Shuckman, Shuckman, is that his name? Matt he Shuckman, was playing yeah. like Matt Shuckman. He was playing last year. Uh, you know, he was doing, you know, he was playing Eldar at the LVO, but he wasn't playing what everyone else was playing. He was playing this really wacky, um, you know, bouncing star. around Seer Council star thing that screwed me up real bad, but. You know, he had that player skill to play that, and he wasn't playing what was considered, you know, the meta build. And so I wonder if you'll start to see guys who see the tools of the Tyranid Codex coming to Tyranids. Because, like, um, although we didn't get to what you think will win, I think what wins is things like what Sean Naden did. Um, things like what you're doing, Jeff, with the Tyranid Codex. Um, you know, lists with all sorts of tools to deal with the weird scenarios and matchups that you can have. I think really toolsy lists, not the raw power, you Agreed. know, just stuff that's really janky. Can you can play a stratagem when you need to to give yourself the right support? I think, I think, and that can be a lot of different factions. Really, yeah. It just depends on what 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 that player is using. And I'm generalizing a lot. There's nothing to substantiate what I'm saying, right? When I say like terror players typically aren't the best tournament players, that's a huge generalization. And there's going to be like Sean Naden fucking won the LVO with, with Lickers. <laughs> He's an Eldar player. <laughs> there's going to be arguments and that's totally fine. Um, I felt I'm, the I'm same way about generalities. 
I have felt the same way about competitive Tau players for years and years, and I used to play Tau, so don't worry about it. I've been outspoken similarly. But yeah, yeah continue. So, uh, speaking of players who speak, stick to factions, I think we'll have a lot of Eldar players. Matt Shuckman's a great example of people who are traditionally Eldar players, have been Eldar players for years, um, who are going to come into the LVO and do extreme well, maybe make the top eight. You know, So someone last year who played Eldar, like uh, Alex Harrison, uh, or Matt Shuckman. Oh, Alex Harrison didn't play LVO Eldar last year, but he's an Eldar player who's been to the LVO. Um, my point is, is that I think we'll have a lot of people who did really well last year with Eldar come back who haven't been in the ITC season at all. I know when I talked to Matt Shuckman, he he wasn't a big fan of Eldar at Nova, and I I think he hasn't really been on the scene huh. at Nova. I know, right? He he did pretty well at Nova, but um, he didn't he really one loss. Yeah, he he didn't really like Eldar, and he was. He was telling me how he was he was worried that he'd have to switch factions and uh, how he didn't like his his list and he was worried about finding a good Eldar list. Um, That's Eldar players though, man. Yeah, right. The, the, if they're They're not... some of the only people I know that'll bitch about the about about Eldar while winning tournaments, right? And be like, oh, it's <laughs> but... not as powerful as I wanted to be. <laughs> um, so I think we'll see someone like Matt Chuckman or, or uh, a, some a name that a blast from the past Eldar player name who goes to the LVO and who probably make the top eight. Um, you know, if if it's Alex Harrison, I don't know if PJ Pants is going and playing Eldar, but um, just just someone someone different, so, someone that hasn't been around in Eighth Edition lately. Yeah, um, Nanavati's playing it right now. Oh, that that's interesting because Nanavati's typically a Chaos player, but as he proved to me when I had him on the podcast almost a year ago, um, he, he's a really good Eldar player. He knows his stuff. He knows his Eldar fluff too, um, which is interesting. But Eldar and Chaos are typically the best players. And I think we'll see a lot of Eldar and a lot of Chaos players in the top 8 and in the top 50. And that's a lot of Eldar, a lot of Chaos, a lot of Imperium, <clears throat> and some Demons, I think. And demons. and don't mix what I'm saying. Like I, I, I fully want, you know, my dream is to go really well at LVO, and I think another Terran player absolutely could. Um, again, all I'm saying is typically Terran players are not the best Terran players, but I am straight hating on Orcs, and, and I would love... If Val or some other orc player fucking won the thing and then at the end of the tournament just, you know, bench pressed my body and then broke my back <laughs> over their knee or something like that's That's fine. I'd love to be surprised. We talked about this with Sean on the last podcast. I hope to be wrong. I, I love that in 8th edition, it's not as predictable as 7th was, right? We could have written the list that would be in the top 8 of the LVO uh, before the before the tournament even started. But this year, not so much, I don't think. Yeah, so, so let's go ahead and do some top 8 predictions while we're here and speculating um, what do you think the top eight factions will be, Val? Val, uh, I think I've I've already said it. I think yeah, it would be yeah, but yeah, I would say to me it's going to be chaos, Eldar, and I swear Tyranids, man. I, I I just based on on list strength, maybe you got some insight to their meta that I don't have, but I just think I just covet that book. Hmm. I I think we'll have one orc player in the top eight, um, and then we're going to be disappointed and have like four. Chaos players, or some ridiculously large number, uh, probably three, I think realistically probably three people who play Chaos, maybe one Chaos Space Marine player and two Chaos Soup players, um, and then we'll probably have two Eldar players and an Imperium player, and that's pretty much it. I think that'll be the top eight. So it'll be very similar to last year, um, except no Tau, and I don't think we're going to see Tau in the top 50. Tau... Tau was like, but last year, I don't know if you guys agree with me or not, but like, 
Tal was the random outlier that got that snuck in there. In my That's opinion. true. Like, yeah. When I saw that list, I was like, "How'd that happen? That yeah. was really weird." And and, and uh, uh, I, I'm forgetting his name. The player Al- Alex. He had the Gundam Riptide, but his list was very much an anti-meta Tau list. Uh, he his list was designed to kill uh, models like Magnus and Fate Weaver and fly flyer models essentially, and it was a very anti-meta offbeat Tau list. And he ended up playing Brett Perkins. Um, who had a renegade list that that he couldn't beat because you know he had a meta list that couldn't deal with it and Brett just played really well. <clears throat> so it, Tau... yeah, it was actually next to that table that I first met Jeff, and I said, yeah. Jeff, I'm sorry it didn't go very well. You 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 maybe want to look at some other combos. And then the only words Jeff said to me before tonight were combos. And that's the whole story. That's that was my Jeff interaction. Thing. That's a very Jeff interaction. <laughs> It was a very Simon Val interaction as well. Well, so it went there. five and one at the last LVO. Just lost <laughs> the first game. Yeah, man. Um, so, uh, that's pretty much it. Um, unfortunately, I think Paul is, is Paul playing this year, Jeff. Uh, do you know? Yeah, fuck he's, yeah. He's playing. Yeah, you should play it. I know BCP guys are gonna be busy, really, really busy at the LVO. But uh, yeah. So if if we do see a top player in the top five or top fifty, probably be someone like Paul. Um, but I, I just tower just in the worst spot i think out of all the high-powered factions from seventh edition um and i'd like to come to paul's defense uh, because he's he's hilariously ragged on every week he's still in 14th place with with his towel playing with them regularly i think he played in november too with them so he's still out there representing yep that's true he's one of the better players we have that's absolutely true <clears throat> so Moving on to um, something I think people want to know a lot about, and that's beating top fact or beating top lists strategies. Uh, so I mentioned earlier uh, five four fire raptors and how to beat them. It, essentially, if you're worried about beating four fire raptors, you don't have a way to deal with them and interact with them. Um, it's actually very easy. Fire raptors need to stick around their buffs to be extremely powerful. Um, they need to sit in firing lanes and have good firing ranges. Um, so, as Jeff mentioned, Delvio is going to have a lot of really good terrain. So, if you stick in your terrain and really force the fire raptors to spread out and and essentially pick off units that are hiding, um, so that they're out of buff range or they're vulnerable, and you just essentially you spread that fire raptor play out thin, you can do one of two things: you can loop around and kill the non-flyer models and win by tabling them, uh, or you can force them to keep together and not play your game and win with uh, recon lion breaker and objective grabbing and that, that that's pretty much it. it it's it's easier said than done uh but i think that's how players like sean naden beat the four fire raptors and i think that's how in general how you beat spam lists and how you beat lists like that and pretty sure sean naden just killed them i'm pretty sure sean naden just did both i think he just i think correct i think sean naden if, if he'd rolled ones shooting the fire raptors when he played the fire raptors i think he still could have beaten that list he probably could have beaten that list without shooting in the shooting phase or with by only shooting very little in the shooting phase um i think but <clears throat> i don't know i've never i've never played four fire raptors so i might be completely wrong um do you guys have any ways to be Dark Reapers? Um, I've never played Dark Reapers, and I, the only thing I know about Dark Reaper spam is if you if you do line of sight blocking, if you, if you hide out of line of sight, out of firing lanes, and you play to the mission, I think that that's pretty easy to beat them. Um, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure because Elder are also really mobile. 
Well, easy is an aggressive <clears throat> word I would use there. I think they're anything they shoot at generally dies pretty reliably, which is really tough. But like you said, don't let them see you. And then if you can shoot them, they're tough three models with a three-up save. A lot of times they're minus one to hit, or if they're Yunari, they're they're nothing like that. Um, but they just mega kill something. So do what you can within your game. I, I think uh, my only advice generically for beating top lists at uh, LBO is just know the meta and, and know know that the tables are very interesting there in that you are going to have at least two big line of sight blocking pieces of terrain. And there is actually a lot of terrain that are literally buildings you can embark inside of at LVO as well. So um, coming with that in mind is very important because if you show up with your gun line and just don't see anything for three games and die, uh, that would suck. That would not be a fun tournament, I don't think. Yeah. And, yeah. And- Go ahead, Val. No, I was just going to like wholeheartedly agree with Jeff there. I think we play like, I think when we're fantasizing about our armies, sometimes we don't imagine the realities of the board. And you can scout, I think. Um, I know you guys get to play out there a lot. I, I don't, but I, you know, I looked at um, the, the BAO and I've looked at uh, the SoCal Open and just how terrain has been deployed on the field. And that will change a lot of these lists. Uh, don't get shot is you know a, a a really great pearl of wisdom you know and you can do that hiding in reserves you can do that using your line of sight blocking um so yeah i think i think dark reapers you know so kind of suffer the same vulnerabilities as like uh you know devastators do once they've played their card so a lot of that starts at list construction um so um again i guess just because it's top of mind you look at something like like jeff's list and you can correct me if i'm wrong if if i'm talking out of my ass here but if I was playing Dark Reapers against your list, I wouldn't necessarily know what to shoot at if Swarmy wasn't right in my face, you know. So mm-hmm. you, it, at, at list construction, you can do a lot too to sort of mitigate the power of, you know, those those big, you know, heavy hitters like Dark Reapers. Yeah, agreed. And and so, uh, you guys have a lot more experience with this, uh, but how do you guys beat Chaos players? Uh, specifically, um, when you match up with a Chaos player you're not going to get the same list twice. Um, you, you will get some of the same units, but a lot of chaos lists are very wildly. And I know you two have beaten chaos players before. Um, so how do you typically beat them? I am madly in love with, uh, kind of almost an emerging phase of the game. Um, Nurgles and scouts, which obviously not everyone can field, but something along those lines, Rangers, Freldar, uh, just the ability to infiltrate or put something forward outside of your zone that, acts as a space buffer slash screen is an incredible, absolutely incredible asset to an army. Um, and specifically when facing like Alpha Legion or demons, which if you are facing demons, I would say seven or eight times out of 10, you're probably facing some form of a deep strike and charge you thing um, right now, or it's just an element of a larger list or something. So perhaps it doesn't include that, but like a, a pure demon list, that is negated, nullified, and even made an advantage for you if your list includes like three units of scouts. I see so many Imperial lists that do have those scouts, but then where they place them or how they use them is a little bit sketch. They get a little bit kind of tunnel visioned on locking on to objectives or something like that. But if you can create that buffer and not allow them to, de- like, yes, everyone has a screen, but if they can't even get on top of your screen and they're deep striking like mid table and then having to slog it across you may have already just won the game, specifically against Demons or, like I was saying, Alpha Legion Berserkers or uh, Cultist Bomb, even Obliterators. If you can zone those guys out, their range is only 
I believe it's 24, which is okay, but not super amazing. So with your list, Jeff, you don't have ranger scouts or nurglings. So how do you deal with those lists specifically without those scout models, essentially, or mm-hmm. without playing the scout phase? Uh, for me, it's it comes down to my screens, my Termagon screen. So I'll put that at the absolute edge of the the border, and then a lot of all my fire is indirect, so I don't need to be as close as I possibly can. Most of the missions have objectives centered around the middle of the table, so as long as my fire arcs include that, then I'm denying you points, and I'm hopefully grabbing them for myself with, you know, characters or rippers or a giant swath of regenerating termagons. Um, and then if you are able to get on top of me and you get a first turn, then it comes down to my screen has to absorb you and then I, you know, beta strike you. Uh, or if I go first, and this is, I think this is known, I guess, but this this is like one of the secrets to my list. My board presence is something that nobody knows. Like, you don't know it until you experience it. When I miss with seven of nine spore mines, and then I drop rippers, and I have my mucloids deep strike out in the middle of the table, you're <laughs> you're like two feet away from anything in my army. Uh, and if you have a deep strike army, or if you have something that, well, just deep strike, I guess, you have something that wants to do that, it's just not going to do it. It will not be able to do it. Right. And, yeah. So then you have to go first, and then you then you have to do your damage. And and so far the last, you know, ten or so games, they haven't been able to do it. Yeah, and and I hope I'm not giving away a real big trade secret here, Jeff. But um, your biovores are really good anti scout units, um, mm-hmm. in, or anti nurgling units because your opponent is already setting up your wall for you, your layer of defense. So when you go, if you, especially if you go first, you can drop spore mines on those scouts and you know block off your opponent's from being able to deep strike anywhere on there. Um, whereas if you were the scout player or the nurgling player, it might be more beneficial to just move, keep those scouts closer to your lines. Um, although that there's some debate there as well, or keep them off to the side, somewhere where shooting them with your biovores doesn't make any sense, um, because you'll just, you know, you'll just keep the scouts there where they either want to be or where your spore mines aren't really blocking anything off. So it just it becomes a really weird game of board p- control and board position in general, yeah. and you need to play that way. You need to. Yeah, that it's really cool. Uh, um, just what Jeff said, like you, you until you experience it, you don't really understand mm-hmm. it. Just that stifling um, footprint of, uh, in that case, spore mines. You know, you can't even move a vehicle sometimes because you're you're so jammed up. Um, but beyond that, you know, I play an army that doesn't have any sort of um, post deployment before game begins type movement. I can't put anything out in the in in the middle of of the table. And so against Chaos so far anyway, you know, I've faced a lot of lists that do want to come towards me. And that's where, uh, for me anyway, playing that really tight uh, screen game is important. Don't be afraid to trade units. I think, um, yeah. I think you know, 40K is, uh, is, is very much a zero-sum game. So essentially, you know, you have to do your own calculus. You know, if I put this out there, what do I have? To, 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 you know, follow up and, you know, am I going to have, you know, more pieces at the end of the game? Um, that's, that's, that's the whole game right there, right? So, yeah, making sure your screen game is tight and that the things that he or she wants to get to uh, aren't easily available uh, to be gotten. Um, so screening out, zoning things out as best you can. And if you do get first turn, really aggressively taking, you know, the mid-table, um, even if it means losing that unit. I've got a unit in my army that is just earmarked for death. Like, if they are going to die, um, but that's their job. And so don't be afraid to do that. And I think that's what you're referring to with the scouts. Like, don't necessarily hold the objective. Maybe 
put him out there five abreast max coherency just to like zone out as much as humanly possible. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, tremendously powerful in certain matchups. It, it is. It's very, very powerful. And I, I think it's the best way to defend against uh, what people complain about, which is alpha strike lists. Um, I, I hear a lot of this online, typically in warmer 40k, which is the much more casual, larger group of players. But a lot of people who, who complain about alpha strike lists and, and losing before the game begins, really. Um, and scouts, rangers, nerglings all prevent that. And, and general bubble wrap, too. Um, stop you from losing to blood letter bombs and blood angels and first turn it's, charge armies. It's even more important, I think, for for really screwing all the people who are playing clever reserve shenanigans stuff now because yep. you need that nine inches. So if you, you can you can make it so that there's nowhere to go, you keep everything in front of you. I mean, obviously other shit will be going on in the game, but you know you can get that perfect. Um, you know, with with just completely. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised in a few games at LVO that you know people lose models because they can't get on the board, you know, mm-hmm. like that. That's going to happen probably. Yeah. So you know that that kind of and that's such a weird way to think about the game. But now that there's a lot of stuff that's coming out of out of um, out of reserves, like I was saying before, um, yeah, it's just such a, a a key element. And stopping things that can pre-deploy too. If you have that tool, then you should have it. Then you should use it. All right. So let, let's talk about another thing that I think people are going to have a hard time with that, you know, bringing certain units or playing when you're aware of it, uh, your games, you'll start winning a lot more games. Um, but psychic psychic defense, um, specifically Black Templars, Korn, uh, I think Tyranids have something, um, Sisters of Battle, that the stratagem where you deny a power on a 4+, plus, if, you, if your faction or your, your army has access to that stratagem, or can, can get access to that stratagem, take it every time. Like, for me, I, I run Black Templar Scouts, then I put them up the board. Um, I know they're going to die anyways, but if for some reason a one scout squad or one model is still alive, um, that one Black Templar Scout can deny a power within 24 inches on a 4-plus with the stratagem, which which is, is huge. It, it can be it can be game-winning sometimes, um, because a lot sure. of people build these lists revolving around these psychic powers. Um, Eldar are particularly nasty and that a lot of their really good psychic powers don't need line of sight yeah which is which is terrifying um so they're debuffing and buffing you while also hiding in ruins and preventing you from being able to shoot at other characters and other things the eldar are the trickiest army by a mile um so am i am i mistaken that they're they're similar um I ran into some of the Tyranid, actually Gene Stealer, actually it was. But am I right with some of the Eldar stuff? That's also fairly short range. So that it's 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 uh, especially the the debuff things like um, uh, I want I want to say Misfortune, but that's not right. They're uh, they're standard eighteen to twenty four inch range. Um, but I think they have a stratagem that lets them double the range, or I think it's a Warlock Council. They they have some mm-hmm. way to increase the range of their psych- so one psychic power. That's problematic. Yeah, it's, it's really bad. Say, I was going to say that it's just, you know, in deployment, you can sometimes be, and it's always going to be a risk, but you can be cagey with your own psychers and making sure that they are more forward deployed. This is dangerous, but I have considered it in the past and done it in the past just to, for example, try and deny, a, you know, a warp time um, or something like that, making sure that, you know, not all my dudes are in transports. Maybe they're hiding in a blob or behind a blob. Um, that can be good psychic defense. Um, Jeff, I never hear anyone talking about... Um, there's one of the high fleets is really good anti psyker. I never hear anyone. Chronos. You know, yeah, that's what I was, building. Yeah. So that's what you're running. There you go. So what what is it that they do? 
Um, off of a Kronos unit, you have a stratagem where you can make them roll one dice, and then your Warlord trait is if they fail a psychic check within 18 inches of your Warlord, they take D3 mortal wounds. Yeah, so... Yeah, he's got he's got natural psychic defense built into his army. Um, and then one one of the reasons why it's extremely important, just to give you guys an example, is uh, this is something that Eldar players do commonly, and I think it's partly the reason why you see so few Primarchs do well these days. Um, they have a Farseer with Doom. Uh, they double his range, so Doom is 36 inches. You Doom Magnus, and all of a sudden he's a lot easier to kill, and it's because it's 36-inch range and you don't need line of sight, you can't deny it. Like you, so Magnus just gets doomed. Um, and it just, just happens. And then they kill him with Dark Reapers, or whatever they want. And you don't get your crazy 3++ re-rolling ones, or or, um, or whatever. Right? So so that that that's really powerful. And that that's something Eldar can do consistently. And they have the most psychic powers out of any faction. With, mm-hmm. I think, 14. Um, it will be interesting with, with the Smite nerf, or well, I guess Smite's still a thing, but um, you know, people will probably start looking and reading at those other rules that they have for stuff that maybe they haven't bothered looking into. So maybe we'll see some more interesting combinations coming out of uh, the psychic phase that were overlooked in favor of Smite, including some of those secondary, like, um, sort of, uh, you know, shooting-style attacks that a lot of armies have. Yeah. I'm sure you're all familiar with the orc's power, Edbanger, um, which is terrible. I don't, I don't know what Edbanger is. No one does. Don't worry. Let's move on. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you guys have any other last tips or any strategies um, that you guys want to give to the listeners to help them out? Play to the mission. It's uh, almost a cliche, but I think one of the other things that people globbed onto in 8th edition, and this is because of the index release and just kind of the style from going from 7th to 8th, but people play like uh, they try to kill you, Warhammer, the Alpha Strike murder you this is my unit that i must get into you and kill you with and stuff like that um that typically i mean of course it is a a way to succeed and it is a way to win but i think it's it's the it's going to fall off as more and more codexes come out and the defensive abilities of these armies starts to raise up but then also the meta completely diversifies so if you don't have a unit of swooping hawks that can drop down and grab an objective or nuke off a scout unit that kind of thing if you don't have psychic defense, if you don't have mobility, if you don't have some element of obsec in your army, you're going to see a lot of those lists, I think, fall off or become much more niche, where it's like a token. It's a, it's like interesting when they win, as opposed to the standard. So it used to be that Storm Raven spam was like how you had to win mm-hmm. um, in early Warhammer Eighth Edition. But as we get further and further away, it's like, oh wow, that guy took four fire raptors. What a douchebag, you know? And and uh, it's it's like more of a novelty now. And by the way, the guy, I don't know that guy. He's not a douchebag. I'm sure he's a great guy. I'm just making a joke. But um, I mean, no offense to anyone. Uh, <laughs> but like the game you're, is you're safe. This is a safe out. place. This is a safe place. <laughs> Oof. Um, yeah. All right. I would. Go ahead. I, I would just if I can just jump in. I'll I'll just say uh, try and stay loose. Um, I think like. I know when I do dumb things like not play to the mission, uh, which is the such sage advice sounds simple, but it's not. Um, it's because I'm tight. I'm I'm nervous. Like I've got you know a player that uh, seems to know what they're doing, or maybe we're not jiving, you know, because they're like more intense. Whatever it is, right? Or just the the whole scene. I'm talking 512 people. Um, you know, put it to put it this way. No matter how many people are in the room, the most you're gonna play probably is six. If you do really well, you get to play nine. 
Um, and, you know, they're all there to play the game, too. And just try and stay as relaxed as you can, because I think you get a lot of those unforced errors. You make a lot of bad decisions when you're playing from a place of fear or tightness. And um, so, yeah, whatever it is that you do to loosen up and and just take that edge off and have a good time. I think that 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 may, that may be the, the last thing, you know, before you before you grab your pass card and head down from the hotel. Like oh, some man. yoga, maybe a sun salutation. That's I don't know. What advice. do you guys do? That's some that's some good advice. Uh, I don't. I I just listen to music before the tournament. Put my earphones in. Listen to my playlist, and um, usually calms me down. Keeps me relaxed. There you go. Boom. All right. Let's look at these top twenty player statistics. So Val, being the amazing statistician, I, I'm I'm sure I butchered that. Um, that that he is, pulled up the also not 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 a statistician anyway. So it's, it's all right. <laughs> It's, you're making a name for yourself, Val. Uh, people already call you the stats guy. You you are the guy. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> All right. So uh, you pulled the pairings results, and just the overall win percentage results of the players from the top 20 in the ITC. And um, these are players that we heard before. Nick Nanavati, Andrew Gagno, Tony Grappando, Paul McKelvey, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of really good players here. Um, there's only two players in there that I've never met personally. Um, and those two players I don't really know either. Um, there's a lot of just phenomenal players in there. Um, and there's a lot of really interesting things that these statistics tell. Uh, so before we jump into the statistics, um, is there any overview, um, or thought process that you want to give the listeners, uh, while you were making this, making this st- stats and pairings results? Yeah, f- um, absolutely. First of all, f- um, as always, big shout out to Best Coast Pairings and the guys who, um, you know, sp- they are trying to make a business of it, but you know they're spending a lot of their own personal time to build this and have this service, and it's really incredible to be able to even pull these stats. Um, the second thing is is that at the round pairing level, so that's what like a lot of our wins and losses uh, stuff uh, that we're going to talk about comes from. It's not as complete, and that's simply because if you were uh, working with a TO or you're at an event where the TO didn't you know use Best Coast pairings to actually enter results, odds are. Um, those that that minutiae that that really granular level of detail wasn't in the wasn't wasn't in the the data set so this is all stuff that um has been actually entered in using the bcp apps so there's going to be some stuff missing um also it's based on since june you know so it's just it's eighth edition only so whatever you did at adepticon nick nanavati uh you know i'm not sure what happened there um so yeah uh, that would be about it i'd say about what we're looking at um just one of the coolest things I think you you zeroed in on when you when you looked at this. So of the top 20, um, the top 20 as a group is 407 and 81 with five ties, which works out to an 82% win percentage, which is crazy. Which I think is which is pretty bananas. Yeah, um, that, that that's crazy. So uh, also Brandon Grant, Adrian Gignard played the most games out of everyone in the top 20 at 34. Uh, so they played 34 total rounds of ITC mission, ITC, and this is not including their, not including their latest tournaments, right? That's true. So this, this, uh, this round pairing down is all the way up to New Year's. So it's actually any, it basically doesn't have January in it. Um, one thing, uh, actually Jared Friedman, we were mentioning him earlier. He won uh, Golden Screw, Golden Screw Cup, <laughs> uh, Golden Screw Cup. 
he actually has the most games played even before Golden Sprue Cup in the ITC. He has 49 games logged. Wow. So he's he's a bit beyond these guys even. And now he has a GT win, so there you go. That's 10 average-sized GTs. <laughs> 10 5 He's GTs. Probably, probably getting out there quite a lot. Wow. Um, uh, but yeah, like, uh, I mean, Brandon Grant is, uh, there's a couple guys who are up around 30 wins, uh, you know, Brandon Grant. Um, and also it's kind of tough cause I know for a fact, these guys are above 30 wins, <laughs> you know, cause there's stuff that's missing from this. Uh, but I think win percentages therefore are probably a little bit more interesting. Um, there's a very familiar name that, uh, that would, uh, probably be arguably the best, uh, win percentage, uh, just based on the amount of results he also has, which is the one and only Matt Rutt. He's, uh, batting 95%, 950, yeah. uh, in, in wins. Actually, really close to 96% in his wins. And, uh, that's over 24 games. So he's got, uh, one recorded loss in this, in this set of data. This and I hear he's, he's supposed to be a judge? Yes. So, if he's listening to this, what are you doing, man? So, so we, Matt, don't listen to Val. You already committed. We need you to judge our friendlies tournament, which is hilarious. We have the ITC champion, last year's ITC champion, judging our friendlies tournament. Um, so it, you know, he's, he's going to do a great job. He's a very friendly guy. I agree. Um, he knows this stuff. But Matt Root, who told me last year, um, actually on this podcast that that he was going to calm down and uh, not go for the ITC champion this year. And what he failed to mention was he was still going to be extremely dominant. He just wasn't going to play in the LVO. Uh, so Matt, uh, you you are you you are the man. That's very very tough to do. Um, I also want to give a shout out to Mitch Pelham and Jason Sparks, who are undefeated, uh, though not with not with a lot of wins. Uh, Mitch Pelham uh, has the most nine results, nine wins, zero losses, and Jason Sparks has six wins. Zero losses. They they both barely cut into the top twenty. Um, but the obviously the the events they are going to they're they're winning, doing really well in. Um, those, those are examples of guys who are are missing events from this uh, yes. from this sample. Oh, okay, yeah. fair enough. So so yeah, is yeah. anyone in the ITC? Is anyone in here actually undefeated? Uh, a hundred percent undefeated. I I don't know. No, I don't think so. Everyone's kind of got a chink in their armor. Okay, um, fair enough. One of the one of the cool things, too, um, not to talk him up too, too much about his weird life choices to not play in the LBO, but Matt Root has also played more of the top 20 players than just about every, anyone else, and he rocks. His one loss does come against a top 20 player, Mr. Trent Northington. So there you go. But he's played, five, he's played a total of six games against top 20 players, and uh, he's won the other five. Yeah, so so let's get into this because these these are also really interesting. Um, Nick, because him and Nick Nanavati are the two players who played the most players in the top twenty. Uh, Nanavati, I'm not surprised by at all. Um, Matt Root, I'm a little more surprised by because of the tournaments he went to. Um, but also, you know, he's been a beast. Um, so Nick Nanavati is two and four against players in the top twenty, losing to Ganyo twice, Nick Rose, and Tyler DeVries, who were all. Really, really good players. Um, and three of those losses actually came at Nova. Yeah, I was going to say that it's all, all, all in, in one bad run. So I don't know if we need to beat the guy up about it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but, uh, and it wasn't a bad run either. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, you look at a guy like, 
Um, right below him, Adrian Gennard, he's got, uh, was that five results? Yeah, five results uh, against other top 20 players. He's managed to go four and one. Um, just sort of fun stuff like that. Yeah. No, Andrew Gennard actually has, uh, according to these, he's, no, that's Ganya. Okay, Adrian Gennard, um, never mind. Um, but a shout out to Adrian Gennard, who left for France, uh, moved to France uh, at the end of Nova. Um, so his results, even though they're really high, these were all recorded, you know, months and months ago, back back when Nova. So he hasn't actually played an ITC game. I don't think he's played an ITC game since Nova, actually. So so he cleaned up early, and the fact that he's still here just shows how dominant he was pre, pretty much pre, uh, codexes, um, which is really cool. He did really well with sisters, and uh, if if he does make it out to the LVO, I, I think it'll be really interesting to keep an eye on him and see how well he does. Um, I don't see a reason why he wouldn't do really well, though he would be really rusty. Um, his, yeah, his last uh, his last event looks like to be Game Empire in September. So, oh yeah, yeah, he played uh, one more yeah, game. At least yeah. The next one. yeah, he came down and pl- right after Novi came down to one event at Game Empire and then took off. Um, so that that's the another one that jumps out at me. Um, David David Johansson has the lowest win percentage in the top twenty with sixty six percent. Um, so David, good job. You have, you're also the only person with double digit losses in the top 20. Um, so David, you, you persevere and you, you are playing the numbers and you're doing just well enough to go to the top 20. I'm very proud of you. Um, cause I am the lowest performer out of everyone on this podcast, uh, by a lot. <laughs> so I don't think that's true. Was that true? Uh, I think it is. True. I think I thought I was at the bottom of that. Heat. No, so, so it's we've okay. got. So for for the podcast results um, between Sean Morgan, myself, Jeff, and Val, um, Sean Morgan is rocking the highest win percentage, and Sean Morgan's actually 28th place in the ITC, um, and he's not playing at the LVO. Uh, but what? Uh, Why? I don't. Uh, he's not playing in 40k champs. He's playing in narrative uh, because Abuse Puppy likes to what? enjoy himself and. He, he he knows he can walk the walk and talk the talk, um, but he's a humble guy. So abuse puppy, mm. Sean Morgan. Yeah, I, I know. I, I disagree with it as well. Um, Sean, I'm going to get on, on you at the LVO, see if I can get you to switch your mind. I've got a 40K Champs ticket with your name on it. Um, but uh, Sean and Jeff, it's Sean first at 83% with Jeff at a 78%, then followed by Val at a 73%, and me at a low, low, low 60% win ratio, which is still above 50. I, I, you I got, you got more total wins than than than, uh, than a lot of the people on the team here. I do. So I you're, do. Out, you're out repping more. Do I have more total wins than you guys? You got four, well, you got 14 wins. Yeah, so, so less. Than, tied 11. Yeah, so so more than you guys. Uh, I, I have more tournament. I think I have more tournaments than both of you, though. Um, awesome. I went to I went to a lot of events in September, um, but yeah, uh, Sean is 20 wins and four losses, which is almost top 20 numbers, um, and uh, that's pretty much it. Are there any funny things out of the the top 20 players being placed that you noticed, Val? As I'm looking through this, uh, any unusual things aside from the names that we know are very good at Warhammer? I uh, I don't have any alarming insight. Um, Anyone jumping out, uh, Jeff? You might be more familiar with a lot of these guys than 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 I am. Anyone jumping out at you that you want to give a shout out to? No, I think you guys covered pretty well. I, I think it's fun seeing the same names because that means that we actually have some 
very talented, strong players that are very intelligent. We we knew that, but it's cool to see them stand the test of time, I guess. Yeah, I, I agree. It's 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 cool that, you know, um, the additions changed, the games changed massively, the armies that are dom- predominant have changed, and yet, you know, a lot of these guys are, are, are still up there. Um, but I guess we should definitely mention his name because he's at the top of the pops right now, Tony Grappando. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got, uh, you know, 84% win percentage, no slouch. Uh, interesting thing about him is he actually um, hasn't played in a lot of events. He just has gone out and won. Uh, just about every, everything that he's been to, uh, with the exception of one GT, or placed very high. Um, he's also got a great uh, ATC score from the American Team Championship. Um, so those are all, all things that sort of put him on the top. And um, he has actually a really good interview on something called The Best General, I think, last week or the week before. So if you're interested to hear how his year has unfolded, uh, it's, a, it's a really good uh, 30 minutes. Yeah, he's also hands down the most physically fit Warhammer player you will ever see. Yes, the guy is a mountain of muscle. Yeah, he he's a very he's he's not the quintessential tabletop gamer. He's not fit that physical mold at all. Um, but yeah, he's eleven and two, which is really good. Uh, I think there's another score in there that you might be missing. Um, but his win record is really good, and he's he has a lot of points. Uh, he's thirty over thirty points ahead of Ganyo, who I thought would would be hard to catch at the beginning of the season, or actually, I guess after Nova, because um, Ganyu jumped to such a high lead, and then Grappando kind of came out of nowhere towards the end um, with some really strong finishes. So it'll be very, very curious. Uh, I think Nick Rose is also someone to keep an eye on. I don't know if he's in contention. Um, I'd have to look at his ITC points. Uh, but he's, Well, he almost went... anyone at the LVO is because That's of how true. many points the tournament's Because right. of how many points. So, but, but if... What I mean in contention, because I expect most of these guys to make the top 16. And I expect, you know, the top eight to be filled with half of these guys. Four, four players from the top 20 that I see will be in the top eight. Um, so what I meant in contention, I meant like, you know, even if he makes the top eight, I don't know if he will, even if he wins the whole thing, just because, you know, Nick Notavati, Brandon Grant, Ganyo, or Grappando could also make the top eight and probably mm-hmm. catch it with like a, a top four finish. Um, sure. So, you know, so but, see, that's how low points he is. But if he makes, if he wins the whole thing and everyone in the, everyone in the top, five uh doesn't make the top eight i think he's got a very real shot at winning the whole thing um and that's very possible too it's, it'll be very interesting to see how, how it all plays out um but i really wanted to give nick rose a shout out because he went 15 and one so only lost once and i believe he lost to someone in the top 20 um but nick rose is a phenomenal player and he just got a really he just moved out to the east coast so he's got a really really good competitive scene where he's at and i fully expect him if he goes to the lvo to do extremely well, and his one loss is against Trent Northington. Yeah, uh, Nick Rose is probably responsible for most of the success Gene Stiller Cult has had uh, in Eighth Edition so far. Oh, has he been playing Gene Stiller Cult? Uh, he has a few. Yeah, he has a few wins with Gene Stiller Cult. They just bar- they, they barely register anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, he, it's interesting. He's got he's got Guard, Eldar, Gene Stiller Cult, uh, and Inari, uh, and Imperium. Um, for his for his li- list, so I don't know what he's gonna run. Um, his most his most recent one, he was running guard, so he might stick with that. Uh, but knowing Nick, I don't I don't know if he'd want to go with guard. Um, but it'd be very interesting to see what uh, what factions he picks, and actually what factions all these players run, um, because they tend to switch them up a lot. So, <clears throat> Val, do you have faction results for these guys? 
Faction results? Right. I guess faction. I not faction results. Do you guys have? Do you have their factions on here? Faction numbers? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, um, so them. if you go, uh, yeah, you can see exactly what what they've been playing with. Um, and I guess just on on that scene, so the top twenty players, we were talking about it a bit before. Uh, but you know, a, more than a quarter of the top twenty players in the ITC uh, play have played anyway Imperial Guard. So I guess some of what we were talking about before will be interesting to see how that plays out. How many of them move away from Guard entirely, or how many of them tweak it by adding some other pieces from other places? Um, I'll be interesting. My personal gut is that Guard, from a like top tier standpoint, is just going to go off a cliff as it gets replaced by more advanced things. Yeah. Also, shout out to Paul for getting the only person with over 30 results in a single faction, and that's with Tau. Paul's the pretty much the only one here who's stuck to his guns on a single faction only. Um, and then, of course, uh, of course, Jason Sparks and Mitch Pelham both have Master Militarum and Dark Angels, but um, they don't have as many results as Paul. So Paul has sticked to a single faction the longest out of everyone, the most. Sure. I would have to thank Adrian Gennard as well, Adeptus Sororitas. Oh, you're right. I'm I'm sorry. You're right. Although the Adrian Gennard's lists are are there, I feel like a couple of lists were probably Imperium or Imperium Soup, um, and might have been mislabeled. Adrian, so uh, we've thrown but, enough shade at each we'll, other and we'll, at other people. We'll, we don't let have to you do that. We'll let that pass because because it is sisters, and you are really you're a nice guy and a good player. Um, but <clears throat> so. So, yeah, shout out to Adrian Gennard as well. Um, it, it'll be very interesting. I, I think out of all the guard players, Brandon Grant's probably going to switch out of guard. Um, and then I don't know about the rest of the players. Uh, Ganyo probably isn't going to stick with guard either. Um, do you guys know, have you guys heard anything from Ganyo or any other top players for the Woodworks, what everyone's running? No. No. All right. That, just what we've alluded to so far, I think. Uh, it'll be, I don't know, like I said, it's going to be interesting, and there's 512 people. There's all the people who don't participate in the ITC much. Like, there's good players from all over the states, the world coming, uh, the Europeans, um, you know, Canadian. you could have guys. Canadians. Canadians, thank you. <laughs> I was I was fishing there. I was fishing there. Uh, we'll have a big contingent. Um, so, you know, like, there's all kinds of people who aren't covered by this. Uh, that uh, could come out and have a really good showing or win the whole thing. It's just toys, man. You never know what will happen. Cool. Who's coming from Canada? A uh, good chunk of the, uh, I'm, I'm sure, the, the Canhammer crew. You keep stumping us with these questions. I actually um, don't know because there, there has been some, some uh, I guess, no, well, there will be a notable ab- absence, absence as far as I know, uh, uh, Dan, Plat- uh, no. Platt, legend of the north. Uh, he uh, he's been into Dungeons and Dragons, man. What we've, we've lost him to? We've lost him to more than D6s. I don't know what happened. I don't. And Platt, he, he, he I think he's coming around. Finished and, and left. He took his ball. He went home. No, he's coming around again. I think he just took a a, a brief timeout. I think he was uh, at a lot of tournaments last year. Traveled a lot, so he's taking a timeout. Um, I'm sure there's all kinds of names I'm supposed to be dropping right now, and I'm failing miserably, but <laughs> you'll see them representing Canada in just, like, a week. Yes, that's true. And and I think we'll also see like, people like uh, Alex Harrison, if he makes it out to the LVO. Um, I don't know if Alan Pajama Pants is going to play 
at the LVO, but um, he could definitely be someone who plays and randomly makes the top eight or the top twenty. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of sneaky players out there that that haven't been on the radar, our radar, anyone's radar, um, who were on everyone's radar last year, who will show up and do really well. Uh, I think it'll be very interesting. So these are the names you guys got to look for, guys. And that's pretty much it. Are there any final thoughts, final comments, shout-outs, Jeff and Val? 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 Okay, I'll do it because we have a minute. Uh, just before we uh, went to record here, uh, I did see that there's a tournament being played in Perth, Australia, which is known as the most isolated city on the planet. That's a real thing. You can look it up. They've got 80 players out today. So shout out to the uh, objective secured people who are running that event. And uh, I just think that's really cool that on the exact opposite side of the world, there is a massive Warhammer tournament going on. That's yeah. pretty neat. Yeah, 80 people is massive. Um, but yeah, that's cool. Congratulations to those guys at the Objective Secured uh, podcast. You said Opsec is yeah, they're like a they're, he's uh, it's Mike Basque. He's a he's a local organizer. I played him in the first round of uh, the LVO. As a matter of fact, last year I just put that together. So there you go. Right on, Jeff. Uh, I'm just pumped to be there. If you see us or me there and want to say hi, please do. I want to apologize to the Orc and Terran players that I surely offended. <laughs> um, the They're not here anymore, Jeff. About Pablo having a learning disability. I'm sorry for all the people I offended. Oh. But also, uh, Reese is a silver fox and a salty banana, and um, I'm going to retire to play Custodes afterwards, so I won't ever be competitive again. So I'll just be on the podcast to make jokes and annoy people. That's right, all. right on. Uh, all right. Of course, no, one other big shout-out to Best Coast Pairings. None of these results and stats would be possible without them. The guys at Best Coast Pairings are phenomenal at their job, and they're running a pretty awesome app, and there's a lot of really exciting things in their future. Um, so if you want to shoot them a subscription to look at the lists from all of these events that we mentioned, if you if you want to you know, look at what the top players are running, if you want list ideas for your own, it's a great resource, and I suggest shooting them a subscription. It helps them out a lot. Yeah. helps keep the lights on. Yeah, it's and it's not just about the the access to the lists. It's just about keeping them uh, keeping them going. Like uh, they do offer a ton of value, but uh, you know this is a this is a great app, great service to be provided, and you know supporting them supports the wider ITC community. So I think that's three of us supporting that 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 plug. Yeah, right yep. on. All right, guys, we'll see you guys right after this final commercial break uh, with the Las Vegas Open judges. Have a good one, and thank you all for listening. Hello, everyone. Are you looking for a 40k event to round out your winter season? Then look no further than the Barry Bash. Located in Barry, Ontario, Canada, and only 45 minutes north of Toronto, the Barry Bash is a good event for you and your friends to attend. If you plan on being in Canada for doing something other than sightseeing some moose and drinking maple syrup, it's on Saturday and Sunday, February 24th through the 25th. It's being hosted by the Eternal Warriors Club, Canhammer, and Scary from Scardcast. Should be a great event. And hopefully they will see you there. All right, guys, I am back, and with me, I brought the head or some of the head judges at the Las Vegas Open, Mr. Salty John and Mr. Adam Solis from TFG Radio. Say hi, guys. Hello. Hey, guys. And as I mentioned before, previously, they have a special announcement that they want to make, and it's beneficial to you guys. So if you are attending the Las Vegas Open. Or if you plan on attending a future Frontline Gaming event, the Bay Area Open, the SoCal Open, next year's Las Vegas Open, 
possibly another event. Ooh. <laughs> uh, you might want to listen up because this is stuff that that will hold true throughout all of those events. Uh, these guys and Reese worked really hard in coming up with a consistent ruling for not just 40k rules, but also tournament procedure and how you guys should conduct yourselves and how your models should be presented. So this is going to be a great catch-all announcement. And if you're a tournament organizer, this is a pretty good basis if you're wondering how to answer questions like how to deal with converted models or what is an acceptable converted model, etc., etc. So I'm going to let them take it away. They've got a great PSA, and you guys can jump right into it. All right, so I think the first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at the uh, championship missions. And the biggest changes kind of came with game length, tabling, and concession scoring. And we kind of talked about this on PFG Radio a couple of times, but we really wanted to make sure everybody was aware of what's going on. So we're going to go ahead and read that first. Game length, tabling, and concession scoring. Each game lasts six battle rounds. At the game's conclusion, the player with the higher total score is the winner. If one player chooses to concede before the game has come to a natural conclusion, they automatically score zero points, and their opponent is marked as the victor. At the time of concession, the victor keeps their current score and earns four points per remaining battle round towards the primary mission, assuming their army has enough forces to accomplish mission objectives. Additionally, the victor also earns the maximum number of possible secondary mission points left to them, also assuming the victor's army has the capability to accomplish the mission objectives. If one player is tabled, a player has no qualifying models on the table at the end of any player turn. The tabled player keeps their points earned up until that point in the game, and their opponent earns points in the same fashion as outlined above. If a player draws a buy due to an uneven number of players, this should go to the player with the lowest total score, and that player receives a win and a score of 20 points. Players should take careful note that tabling your opponent does not automatically score maximum points for the mission. Concession also does not automatically award max points to the victor. Okay, so that's directly out of the game pack. And uh, there's a couple of things in there that we would like everybody to remember. Um, one of those is that it's a turn six end. There's no random game length. Yeah, um, that that was that brings us back for those that played previous editions. They're used to that. Yeah, uh, if you played fourth bring, and before, uh, was fifth random? I can't recall. Um, I don't think fifth was. I, I think it's I been. I know it's sixth or seventh. <laughs> wow, we're getting old, Adam. <laughs> you are. I remember. Yeah, I, yeah uh, the random game length is a recent a recent thing. So most newer players that have played only sixth and seventh. Um, before that, you only played six turns, or at the time, six turns. In this case, it's six battle rounds. Uh, there's yeah, no, you know, there's rounds. no need to roll for random game length after turn five. Right. Um, <clears throat> one of the other big changes: conceding earns zero point, it earns you zero points, but not the max for the opponent. Because a lot of people are used to going to a tournament. Oh, I concede. Okay, you get max points, but that's right. not allowed. That's not how you do it. Yeah, especially the conceding part, because um, some people uh, used to concede, but in previous in previous incarnations of the missions, people would concede and uh, they would get whatever points they happened to get at the time. Yeah, I mean, I did that in a tournament not too long ago when we were running this. I I don't remember who it was. I conceded to somebody. It might have been Nikhil, and I was like, oh, okay, so I concede, and then we actually turned in the form incorrectly with me having had earned points. Yeah. 
And we both were like, oh, wait. And we went back and we redid it because we were like, no, wait, wait, you don't get any points. And I was like, no, you're right. I definitely don't. <laughs> um, tabling, the losing players keep their points. But the tabler, the person who tabled the other person, does not earn max points. The important thing to take away is that really it's difficult to get max points under this yeah. if you didn't actually play the game out and earn them all. Yeah, so, so if you, so as a warning, if you do come to us and you happen to have max or close to max points, we'll probably go over the scoring with you. Yeah, we'll probably want to know how that happened. Okay, so I have a quick question. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if, if I table my opponent turn three, or if I'm about to table my opponent turn three, mm-hmm. is it acceptable to talk to them about how many points I could conceivably earn through six for through the next three turns and then walk through or talk through the rest of the turns and then score each other appropriately is that acceptable or is that unacceptable you're saying that um if your your opponent wants to concede no no or you or you no, both I... realize he's going to be tabled right right so so like and then this is something that happens frequently uh, at yeah. events um th- there's there's reports of um people bullying other players for for points saying that like you know don't concede you know I-, I could score this and this do you agree and then they're like maybe and they're like okay well then i get more points so let's I just see what you're saying. you know like it's it, it gets to this weird diplomacy stage where both players mm-hmm. talk out you know points and, yeah. and this is yeah. this is important for well that's getting been something that's been around for a long time yeah yeah i mean the yeah. table talk thing the the, the but in, it, intimidation factor has always been around right but in this, yes, that 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 was one trick you used, you can you can still do where you kind of convince your opponent they're going to lose. So let's just stop now, right. so we can save time. What I think what Pablo's asking is is basically using that to kind of like leverage, quote unquote, play the game. Right. Yeah. Even though you're not really playing the game. Right. Yeah. I mean, I would suggest to anybody that that's happening with you. Just, you just don't agree to it. Like, if you're going to get tabled, you say no. We'll play it out. Like in in my opinion, in this format. You just play the game out, unless you're going to concede. Or if the person's trying to convince you not to concede and you want to, sorry, but that's too bad. You're going to concede the match. So it's, you're taking zero points. I mean, maybe they're going to try to convince you, no, 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 you take some points if you don't. But if you're done with the game, you're done with the game. Good point. I mean, and, and honestly, if there's somebody who's going to be tabled and they're like maybe have, I don't know, three three units left that are going to get wiped, right? And they're saying, I want to, I want to concede. It's probably because the other person is not being a good opponent. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, I mean, to be honest, and, and if you find yourself in that position, you call for a judge. Yes. I want to concede this person's doing this. And I honestly, if I was the judge called over, I'd be like, you can concede. That is your, your right under the rules. You want to concede, concede. The other person can't tell you not to. Yeah, even even if you feel that you're having a bad, uh, whatever, bad dice roll, whatever, it's it's your right to concede. Yeah. I mean, I think can't. that in, in, in certain circumstances, it's a little bit of poor sportsmanship to do that. But still, if you're I done think, with the game, you're done with the game. Well, I mean, yeah, but I mean, part of being done with the game could be just, you know what, my dice aren't rolling hot. It's been a long mm-hmm. day. Yeah. You know, I just want to go to the bar, maybe gamble a little. I'll just concede. <laughs> yeah. you know? I, can, I can see this happening a lot rounds three each day. So well, that, three yeah. round six. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, so they can't they, or they shouldn't be trying to convince you or, or if you consider bullying, uh, bullying you to continue playing when you don't feel like playing. Right. Yeah. No means no. All right. Yeah. Awesome. Um, there's one other note for these missions. Um, it's possible to be tabled and win with more points in the system. That's yes. something a lot of people are getting wrong. 
it is totally possible that if you get tabled, but you have more points at the end of the game, and by using the metric that we use, this outline that we read, it is still possible for your opponent to not win the game. And yeah, that is allowed. To be honest, it's highly unlikely. Yes. But, but plausible. If you think it's possible, I would suggest calling a judge over. Okay. Yes. If if you're getting to that point where you're like, hey, I'm adding this up and it looks like I still win, that's probably in this very rare circumstance where you'd be like, we have to get the judge over here and let's walk through it. Okay. So so tabling, if you get tabled and you're going to win when you get tabled, um, it doesn't necessarily – well, the game end is what I'm asking. If you get tabled. No, because when you get tabled, you're still counting the turns following the turn right. you got tabled. Okay. So mm-hmm. if you get tabled like – Turn two and you're up by three points. Your opponent it is still gets... unlikely you're winning the game. If, you're, you're if, you're, if you get yeah, if you get tabled turn five and you're up by like five or six points, it's conceivable you win. Yes. Right. Okay. Yes. That's good. So, so yeah. you don't punish. Which is players one of the for... re- things that I tell people all the time. I'm like, listen, if you're ahead on points, don't concede the match because you're down to a couple units. Hide. <laughs> you know, do your best. Like you could still concede if you're up by twelve, fourteen points. It's conceivable if you've done enough damage to your your opponent's yeah. army. It depends on the turn. Yeah. You know, depending on the turn, yeah. Right on. I'm assuming if we get two knight players playing against each other, we'll probably see that. <laughs> That'd be so funny. That's, yeah. Well, with a field of almost 500, that's a possibility. So, um, then there's some stuff we wanted to talk about in terms of conversions and painting, and also counts as. Um, so um, we'll just kind of jump through this, and Adam, if you want to. Add stuff as we go along? Sure. Okay. So the first thing, conversions counts as must be well done. This is not ad hoc central. These things need to be (laughs) done well and to a certain standard. Um, If you are doing a counts as army, you must have a sheet for each opponent, each opponent, with what each model is if the army consists of many counts as models, and it needs to be accompanied by pictures for the models. An example would be Matt Root's Orc Army that was converted to Adeptus Mechanicus. That was a famous army from last year's LVO. This year, that army would require a handout for each opponent showing a picture of each unit and or a description of what that unit is. Counts as does not mean something like this last cannon counts as a heavy boulder. Counts as could mean that all the models are modeled with a custom weapon that's the appropriate size and shape that counts as a heavy boulder. So long as they're used consistently... Uh, and in a manner that throughout your army is also consistent. When in doubt about this, you should send a picture in for approval. Um, something that's become very common is Storm Ravens count as Fire Raptors. Right. They do not count as Fire Raptors without significant conversions. Um, so there's a couple of examples we can shoot you guys if you're interested in seeing them. Um, but the Storm Ravens should be converted to to basically be the same appropriate size as a Fire Raptor, and they have to be modeled with the right weapons. So you can't be like, oh, this is my Fire Raptor, but these last cannons are the Heavy Bolt Responses. Right. That's that's not going to work. Uh, you can't have a Fire Raptor and be like, oh, these uh, Crusader Bolt Guns are actually, uh, or these Hurricane Bolt Guns are actually the Heavy Bolters. No, they are not. It has to be a conversion that's done well. It has to be the appropriate size. And it has to be modeled with the same weapons. And that counts for any type of counts as that you're going to do. And it has to be army-wide. Yeah, and it, just a reminder that they have to – yeah, I think you mentioned earlier where they have to be the same – size, basically the same dimension. 
Yeah, the same dimensions. We had a lot of issues, it, especially by last year. Was it last year or two years ago when the void shield generator uh, was the thing to do? Two years ago. It was both. We had issues last year, too. Yeah, and we had a lot of issues in terms of the size. Yeah. Uh, and also shape. Like, like if yes. the shape of the thing that's giving off an aura is square, it can't be round. Makes sense. Particularly if the circle that you've made it on the base, if it's, you know, whole diameter of the circle is larger than the square. Like, that just doesn't work. Like, it, it needs to look close. You know, it needs to be an appropriate size and modeled with the correct things that are on it. Right. Um, for painting, three color plus based is the minimum. And we are going to pull models. This happened at the SoCal Open. This yes. happened to a good friend of ours at the SoCal Open. One of our teammates um, didn't read the packet, which is why we're doing <laughs> these PSAs, because not everybody reads the packets, but hopefully everybody listens to podcasts. And uh, he had models pulled at the SoCal Open because they weren't the three color minimum. Plus basing. Um, you need to bring legible army lists for each of your opponents and a copy for the judges. Right. That's a thing. That is that is a thing that you're supposed to do. And the army lists are required to be uploaded to the BCP app. This is not optional. Your army list must be required, is required to be uploaded to the BCP app by the beginning of round one. Uh, it can be done at registration, uh, which is open from 6 to 8 p.m. on Thursday. And it can be done beginning at 8 a.m. on Friday. But it needs to be in before that first round begins. And for the for the three colors, that does include um, a wash, which is what I had a question earlier. Yeah. So if you've got primered red, blood angels, and you've got a wash, and then and you've a got highlight highlights, uh, and then it's fully based, it's fine. Yeah. Because um, yeah. Now another big one. Okay. Nope. Uh, <coughs> yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say before you go on, John. Uh, anyone who has any further questions about three color minimum, I, I also have pictures. You can email yeah. me, oh, yeah. gmail.com at Reese and of course TFG Radio, John, Adam. We all have, we all I'm sure have plenty of pictures of minimum three color models that are also based. And yeah. uh, in in terms of, um, I lost my train of thought. In terms of, uh, <laughs> shoot. Three color minimum, or no, no. It's about conversions or count sizes. Um, no. Uh, okay. So we're gonna we're gonna this is all gonna get edited out. Yeah, of course. If you are unsure of how to upload your lists onto the Best Coast Pairings Player app, I consistently and I have seen a lot of lists uploaded on the BCP app that are uploaded incorrectly um, or not uploaded at all. Um, so if you're unsure of how to use that app and how to upload your list onto it. I will walk you through it, and I will also email the BCP guys, or you can email them, if then they can help you walk you through it. It's very, very easy, but uh, you have to make sure your list is uploaded properly. Um, you know, n- none of these, like, thumb shots of your thumb covering the list, <laughs> or, or uh, yeah. a PDF that's, like, a billion pages, and it's all in code. I see that <laughs> a lot. Uh, I, I see horror stories, and, and then people never fix them. Um, and then their, the opponents don't ever tell the judges, and then, yeah. you know, it, it can be a bit of a problem. So and BCP, it's going to be a problem for you if you get to the last yes. day and your army list has not been uploaded, and it, it will be it will be problematic for you. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's going to be hard for people to believe that your list was correct. Um, if your list ends up being wrong, you're, you, you run the risk of being DQ'd. There's all kinds of things that can happen if you don't do this, especially because we're saying we require it of you. 
So you're required to upload it to the BCP app. You're also responsible for making sure it happens correctly. Yes. And one more thing. Uh, don't don't upload your list day one with a uh, with a legal list, and then day three, if you make top eight or day two, um, switch the list to a different list or or something else. The BCP app guys can trace when your uploads happen, and if you have an upload, and if you have an upload that that's you know cool, and then mis- mysteriously there's another upload of a different list or of a list like right before <laughs> round five when someone mm-hmm. questions your list, uh, the legality of your list, we will find out. So just don't mess around. Uh, email me. Make sure your list is done properly. If you need help, I will help you. Um, I mean, and... ultimately, the internet traces everything you do. Yes, exactly. Right. So don't think you can get around it somehow. You're, you're, I, I highly doubt anybody has the hacking skills necessary to do that. And if you do, what are you doing wasting it on <laughs> game with toys? Go I mean, mess with on, the man. North Koreans, man. Go do something <laughs> <Right>. else. <laughs> All right. Sorry, John. So, keep going. Yeah, no problem. Um, well, it's ironic that I just said toys because that's the next point. No toys. You, no Gundams, no G.I. Joe artillery pieces, unless these things are heavily converted with a great deal of effort put into the attempt. You should send pictures 100% of the time for approval if you are looking to include any of these types of models in your army, or you're going to risk having them pulled. Um, a very common thing is that $5 artillery piece toy that yeah. everybody's been using as um, Earthshaker platforms. The first, yeah, the Forge World Earthshaker batteries. The ones That's without, not acceptable. It doesn't have the right footprint. Um, it's 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 not acceptable in several different ways, and unless you've taken that five dollar toy and heavily converted it with a great deal of effort to make it playable in the grim dark future of Warhammer Forty Thousand, it's going to get pulled off the table. Well, the other thing with with that particular model, um, I know that uh, Forge World they don't produce it anymore, right. but you can you can find images of it, and it does have a la- rather large footprint. Yeah, it does. It's it's got a large footprint that's like a the 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 basing for it is like an X underneath it, all the little things. So you almost need twice the amount of space underneath it. Yes. Yeah. That that toy currently provides. The toy, yeah, it's like half half of what it usually takes up. If that, because those are also like squished in. So like you'd have to spread them out. Like that toy would take a significant amount of conversion to get it to look right. Yes. It just would. Um, So if you you were going to use a toy in your army as a model, you have to send us pictures for approval or you're going to risk it getting pulled um, at the event. The only other option would be, would be, would be to bring a backup, either backup model or backup list. Yeah. Just in case. If you're not sure. And we, if we didn't get back to you in time mm-hmm. or you just never sent the email and are just finding out like the week before or a couple days before you leave yeah. for the event. Yeah. Make sure you have another option if we don't approve. Okay. Uh, I believe that's all the notes that I have for the championships missions, conversions, painting, counts as. I mean, that's that's that. Again, if you have uh, questions for rules, those things need to be sent to the actual email from Frontline Gaming. Don't directly message one of the LBO judges if you know us. At this point, this is close to the event. Every one of us is answering the same thing to everybody, whether they're like <laughs> our best friend or not. The answer is send that to the Frontline Gaming email, the official one. That's where you send official rules questions. Um, We're not individually going to be answering specific rules questions that are not about the missions or the the format of the tournament. Okay, and what and what official email was given to you guys? So so we don't cross wires here. 
It's whichever one is linked on frontlinegaming.org. There's one. There's a there's a, a link there for it. Okay, so that's the one I've, that's what I've been directing people to. Okay, so um, so for those of you who who don't have the head judges in PM on Facebook and you're not friends with them, <laughs> yeah. So contact at frontlinegaming.org is the email you want to email. That is the direct hard line to the ITC, the head of the ITC, Mr. Reese. Um, mm-hmm. email your rules questions there. He will take care of them. He will submit them to the judges. Uh, contact at frontlinegaming.org. That .org is very important. People forget it all the time. Yeah. Yes. So that's where you want to email them. Is there any last words you guys want to add, guys? No, just uh, come prepared. I don't think so. Be ready to have a good time. And yeah, make sure you have your rule have books. <laughs> yeah, bring your rule books. Battle scribe does not count. No, oh, if we if we come to the table and you have a rules question, you don't have a or the necessary rule book. It's difficult for us to just be like to not just want to go. Okay, well you're wrong because you don't have your rule book. Like <laughs> have your rule books with you because I don't want to carry around a stack of rule books with me. That's a big call. Yes, right. So you should have your relevant rules with you at all times. You should also have the relevant FAQs. Make sure you print out yes. the relevant FAQs. I mean, we'll we'll have them, but yeah, but I don't want to have to walk all the way back to the judges' table just because right. you don't have your book. Yeah, and like you you should have the rules for your army. And that's another thing too is is time is a factor here, guys. So so the judges they're not telling you to bring your rules to be mean or to be lazy. They're telling you to so that when they show up at the table, they can give you a ruling in the most time efficient way possible. So you show up mm-hmm. or they show up, you have your rules open, you say, hey judge, is this true? Is this false? How is this rules? Boom, they look at your rule book. They make a judge ruling. Uh, whether you like it or not, that's the ruling mm-hmm. because they use the book. Done. Crystal clear. You're not waiting for them to run back to their table, grab a book. You're not waiting for your opponent to ask other people at different tables mm-hmm. if they have their rule book. Um, it, it's it's just it gets to be a big pain. Um, and at an event like this, a very large event with high stakes, uh, time is going to be a very big factor and things are going to be very stressful. So just remember that, guys. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that a lot of people don't even think of when it comes to this is, so what's the big deal? You have to walk back. On the walk back to the table, if you're like, especially if you're further away from the table, I'm going to get stopped maybe two or three other times by people. And I have to tell those people, wait, I have to come back to you. Or I have to send right. another judge over to that table or something. And then other people will sometimes feel inconvenienced because I've had, they feel inconvenienced because I've had to tell them, like, you need to wait. And I'm telling them you need to wait because I have to help you because you didn't have your rules. So it's just kind of like inconsiderate of kind of all the players involved in this to not bring your relevant rules with you and then make me as a judge go search for them and then inconvenience other people at the same time. Yeah. Um, the only other thing for me would be uh, uh, no. I, I would prefer uh, no handwritten lists. I'd prefer that as well. <laughs> if you're gonna upload your list, make have it printed. It's not that hard. I mean, in reality, since you're <laughs> supposed to bring one for every single opponent, you really should just put oh. it on a spreadsheet. But if you're really gonna make photograph or uh, photocopies of your handwritten list, then okay. But it really would be best to have it be legible, have it be organized by unit, have all the points there, that kind of thing. Yeah, we want to see calligraphy, not cacography. <laughs> I mean, I guess I could see it if, like, you showed up and on the way into Vegas with your buddies, your friends are looking at your list and they realize it's illegal. Right. 
okay, fine. You're going to have to have a handwritten yeah. list, right? No well, problem. small changes is not that big of an issue, but right, right. just a wholesale list like I've seen on some of the apps, some of the tournaments I've looked at. There was one a couple of weeks ago that had a picture of a napkin with Sharpie scrawled. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just get your girlfriend or a girl to write your list. They have naturally better handwriting. It's they do. I don't know how that biological works, biological fact. As a teacher, I can attest to the fact that that is absolutely 100% true. Boom. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, uh, I think that's pretty much wraps it up. Um, thank you very much for those of you who want to know information. All the emails were already given to you. Hopefully this is enough. If you have any further questions, email contact at frontlinegaming.org or you can email me, frontlinegamingpdpop at gmail.com. We will answer them as quickly as possible. And that's it. Thank you, John. Thank you, Adam, for coming on no and telling, you're welcome. Thanks for telling them. Yep. Um, see you guys all at the Las Vegas Open if you're going. If not, see you guys next week. Have a good one.